And now for our feature presentation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Botching It Up podcast. Every bruise, bump, and botch. Wrestling, you've been put on notice. Oh, let's get ready to ramble! What's up? This is the Botching Up Podcast number 17. And this week we're talking about a crazy weekend of wrestling. We got Impact Slammiversary on Saturday. And on the Sunday, we got the horror show. Extreme Rules WWE. Uh, we're going to go play-by-play on both shows and just see what happens. As always, I'm Benito with my good friend Basil. Let me in. <laughs> let's let's go in. Let's do it. All right. Where are we starting? You want to start Impact or you want to start? And can we just say you, you didn't correctly say Extreme the Extreme Rules title. The title eventually, after being changed about four times, was WWE The Horror Show at Extreme Rules 2020 which is a pay-per-view title that's the sort of sentence I would avoid writing for a marketing job application. (laughs) The horror show was a real surprise for me. I think I had a real low bar set, and they beat that, and I actually quite enjoyed it. And I think I enjoyed it because they did a lot of things different. It wasn't just a boring uh, paint-by-colors style wrestling show. They They took a lot of risks, and some of it didn't pay off, and some of it was actually quite fun. I think it's really strange how subjectively sometimes our critical minds align because this has been absolutely scrubbed all over the internet as potentially one of the worst things that pretty much every WWE fan or wrestling fan has ever seen and we're sitting there enjoying the shit out of it so (laughs) critically it was definitely not the best show they've ever put on but um yeah I just got a kick out of it I don't know but let's start with Slammiversary because that was on Saturday and we won't linger on it, but we both noticed that there was a ton of production issues. Oh, my God. So many. Microphones weren't working. Um, wrong music was played. Music was being played late. Don Callis didn't even come on to commentary until about 10 minutes into the pay-per-view. I think one of my favorite production errors was when, at, at some point during the first match, I think one of the rascals um, fell outside of the ring. And this sort of game show music started playing for a little while and then al- almost immediately stopped uh, when he got back into the ring. And I thought, is this Impact's way of covering having no crowd? They're just going to play game show music as the reps <laughs> counting 10. And it's like a countdown, you know, like until they got back in. I, I-, I liked that one. Uh, that's quite funny. Um, there was another one where, might have been Heath Slater's promo, where... The microphone wasn't working, but we could hear the producer quite faintly panicking. (laughs) I didn't. I missed this bit. (laughs) I don't know what. I can't remember now what promo it was, but yeah, that was definitely in there. I also want to give a shout out to Don Callis and Josh Matthews for some absolute clunkers of lines. Um, (laughs) After the first match, Josh Matthews is sort of selling how great the first match was and how they've still got so much more to go. And Don Callis literally says... I'm not sure I can take much more, and we're only one match in. Brilliant. Which, I mean, I'm sure he meant it in a different way, considering <laughs> he now like basically runs the company, but it didn't didn't give off good signs. Oh yeah, no, I get what he's saying. Pile of shit. Let's just not watch it anyway. <laughs> I, I but I actually did enjoy the show. So we started off with Rascals versus Motor City Machine Guns, which 
I got a kick out of because they're one of my favorite tag teams of at least TNA, maybe if ever. I didn't see the spoilers for this. I just went in blind and saw that the Motor City Machine Guns turned up. And it was, I've got to say, it's actually a really good pull for Impact, I think. Because I've heard, I know you haven't been focusing on the news, but Anthem is so high on this Moose stuff. And apparently the ratings go up when Moose is with the TNA title that they're actually considering having a TNA spin-off show. Okay, because I was actually going to make quite a heavy negative point on this show about the amount they talked about TNA. We know that they used to be TNA, but the product has changed so much. It kind of annoyed me. We'll get to it later, the specific point, how much they leaned on the history when yeah. they, don't even, they, they don't feel or look like TNA one ounce anymore. But like you said, maybe if that's what's bringing in viewers, it probably is because I tuned in to see all the returns. So well, Exactly. I mean, I had a point to make here that Impact have done an amazing job of generating a buzz for this pay-per-view. Um, but it's more sort of vulture-esque than their actual marketing department, really. Because if without all of WWE releasing a load of guys and then Slammiversary being teased for their comebacks or turn-ups... What would you really have here, honestly? You'd have another normal Impact Wrestling show and we probably wouldn't be covering it. There was a ton of buzz and it really felt like instead of the weeklies advertising this big pay-per-view, they've used this massive pay-per-view to advertise their weekly show. Which is why I think it's so disappointing that they had so many production errors. And just like as a... As a um, hardcore fan who's been watching all sorts of different types of wrestling for years and years... Even I thought like it was so weird to watch after a steady stream of WWE and AEW. And all of a sudden, sometimes you can't hear what the commentators are saying because the ring is so loud. The ring was so loud, right? It felt like we were in um, some um, training center. Yeah. It was really bad, actually. I mean, it's, not, it's not a great look if you've, if you've got new eyes, fresh eyes on this product. Like uh, They were the number one trend on Twitter. In I think in the US or potentially worldwide for this show on Saturday night. So this was really the time to up the ante just aesthetically uh, more and technically more than whatever they had to offer because there are, there, there are obviously quite a lot of people like us who are either giving it another chance or people that had somehow heard it through the grapevine and were checking it out for the first time, which is why it's so disappointing that the ring was like awfully loud and there were so many moments where you actually didn't know what was happening on your TV screen because somebody in the truck fucked up. Yeah, it really sucks. Really dropped the ball on that. But uh, anyway, Motor City Machine Guns made their return. As much as I loved them, I actually think the result of this match was a mistake. I think the Rascals um, should have won because they've been around for a long time now and I think it would have cemented their legitimacy i kind of agree with you here like obviously you want to give the return up and coming returners especially apparently chris saban was tna world champion i do not remember that whatsoever but it's there um so i get that they kind of needed a win to come back and look good but i feel like you could have created um a longer storyline for the rascals who seriously impressed me with this match so they could have like a rubber match or you know like a best of three best of five whatever they could have run with that for quite a while now and i think people would retain interest but what i have heard um and i'm not sure whether it's true because i read this before this week's impact apparently motor city machine guns have picked up the tag belts so this was designed 
Yeah, well, I mean, even on this show later on, they come back out and they challenge the North. And again, that's kind of ties into this whole, it's just a bigger advert for their whole product because they said, oh, we're going to challenge you on next week's weekly show to a championship match. I mean, when do you ever see that on a pay-per-view usually? So I guess that's why Motor City Machine Guns won in the opening match, just to be able to put them into a title match. They they were savvy enough to realize that there are a lot of new eyes and this pay-per-view was definitely made to sell the TV show, um, to try and retain the interest that they'd garnered, managed to garner from this pay-per-view. And even though they dropped the ball technically, I think they probably did earn quite a few new viewers out of this. I'm quite interested to check out this week's Impact, honestly, based with all the new faces, with faces that are already there that impressed me, that I liked, uh, that I liked the look of, some some great matches later on the sh- in the show. I, I think I would go pick up Impact for an hour and a half and see how it's going if I yeah. had the time. Impact's always had a weird roster. There's like some real great guys and girls involved, and then there's some real green or just rubbish and there's not much in the middle yeah i thought exactly the same watching this show actually there's some some people that look so polished and not to quote a term but mean it positively they look wwe no sort of um failed spots or the wrestling itself looking phony or them turning away from camera or not knowing what to do like they look great but then there's other guys that seem to not even realize that they're on tv yeah yeah, so I think the opening match was a bit of a mistake. I think you could have really given the Rascals the rub here and made them something even bigger to maybe new viewers that didn't even know who the Rascals were to begin with. While I agree with you on that on that statement, I, the Rascals, I've genuinely got quite a few notes saying the Rascals really impressed me here. I feel like they have the same amount of ability and agility as Private Party and they do the same sort of high-flying stuff. But they also have a basic understanding of selling and um technicality which is which sets them apart to me instantly from a lot of the high flyers on aw's roster yeah i mean and they're quite a big deal within impact's roster anyway i mean the third member of their stable is in the main event of this very show another thing that i liked about impact watching impact and this pay-per-view they seem to be given a lot of young guys a chance and i'm not sure whether that's because pretty much every champion they've had has walked out on them and I do feel that Impact at this point are aware of the fact that they're kind of becoming a feeder promotion in which you it's like a you become a big fish in a small pond and then you go on to brighter pastures. It, it did feel like on this show that they're giving a lot of young dudes a chance in championship matches so that eventually they get rewarded down the line and they choose to stay. Yeah, well, I think they're just trying to breed homegrown talent uh, to kind of develop their own brand, have their own guys so long-term viewers will eventually see them as impact guys rather than XAW or XWWE guys. Yeah. One thing I did enjoy about this match as well is that it was quite obviously choreographed some parts of it, but it didn't feel like fake choreography. That's a, that's an important thing to me. I don't mind if things are choreographed as long as they don't feel like we have to set up here, do this, that we have to wait for that guy. And we'll spend about 30 seconds constructing this massive tower of people so that we can then pretend to hurt each other. You know? Yeah. just It's nice and fluid and flows. Yeah. Uh, someone really famous did that. Who's it? Was it Macho Man or the Ultimate Warrior? He used to choreograph every single match. I can imagine either of them actually, because uh, Macho Man was pretty obsessive and warrior needed the choreography i think (laughs) 
I think it was Macho Man. I, I think it was Bret Hart in an interview saying that how he would have to choreograph every single match with uh, Randy Savage. Uh, so after this opening match, we go backstage with Ty Valkyrie and Rosemary, uh, who have a really weird friendship. I remember when that story first started back when I used to watch Impact. And they're trying to get the guy, Johnny, is it Johnny Bravo? Johnny Bravo, yeah. Guy? Yeah. They want his help in winning the gauntlet match. Stupid promo, oh, whatever. Like after staring at a giant golden fleck for a minute while the production uh, attempted to write <laughs> itself, all I I had no idea who these people were. I know Ty of Valkyrie. I was gonna say, you know who Ty of Valkyrie. I know Ty of Valkyrie, but um, there was just a segment with a guy holding a chihuahua in a crocodile costume, dressed like Tintin. That's what I saw. I would say it's completely pointless and was bad but it did play into a story later on in the show a story that i not hated that a, yeah not that, not that it's a good story but at least this segment had purpose we go into the next match now before we go into the match we get a really this is one thing and again i think impact knew they were going to have a lot of new eyes on their product all of their video packages were so good yeah at telling you what's going on why these guys were fighting and then we banged on the production value so far but these videos looked really good Tommy Dreamer versus Moose's video package was actually better than the match um, Dreamer being built up as this grizzly old vet against Moose as the better than you sort of jerk it just had a sort of aura of um, had like a B-movie cinematic quality to it but not in a negative way in which it was sort of like acting as a, a proper full on trailer for what you're going to see which got me into this despite not having any idea that it was on the card five minutes before yeah i feel the same way but i gotta put my foot down about one thing it started with moose's last match against crazy steve and they referenced crazy steve as a tna original <laughs> fuck off izzy come on i'm pretty sure t- carney carney was his name crazy steve was came in in the last six months before they rebranded Anthem, didn't he? Exactly. I'd already I mean, stopped there, watching at that point. There is only 10 people I would call TNA originals, and all of them work for WWE or AEW. Yeah, but like, I don't really understand what they think TNA is, and I think what they think TNA is is very different from what we do, because on the Impact taping after this pay-per-view, Ethan Carter the third is going out and attacking Moose. He's chosen to go after Moose. I assume because in storyline, uh, EC3 now represents TNA. He's the he's old guy. He's a TNA legend. <laughs> I get. I in terms of this story, they're telling that Moose is the TNA champion. I kind of get it that he's fighting all the guys that are around when it was called TNA, and now that they're a new company. So they're fighting all the old guard. I get it, but Crazy Steve is not that guy. Not at all. <laughs> no. I, I mean, this is this is interesting because th- this originally was an ingenious piece of booking because you, you had um, the, the actual Impact World Championship stuck in Mexico. So mm-hmm. they, they just got the TNA belt together, threw it on a guy, and he was going to be the dude that sort of got through coronavirus as the fake champion. And I assume then they were going to have a champion versus champion match. But what's happened here is that's fallen through. And then, as we know from this company, things have subsequently fallen through about six more times. <laughs> and now, they're, they're as Impact always do, as they always will, which is why they'll be around forever, they're cockroaches. They land on their feet. 
they get something it, it they originate it for a completely entirely different reason and then all of a sudden they're like shall we start a tna sideshow you know <laughs> it's just classic tna it's survivors man yeah anyway but on the same wavelength i wouldn't consider tommy dreamer a tna original either he wasn't back there in the first days he was involved during like the 2012 days when hulk hogan was running the show and they were trying to emulate ecw versus tna I wouldn't actually even call Tommy Dreamer an ECW original anymore. I would call him an ECW reunion original. That's what I know Tim, Tommy Dreamer as now. Yeah, but I mean, they try and put a lot of the ECW guys in as TNA originals. Um, RVD and Rhino are in there. Um, the only guy involved in early days TNA was Raven. That uh, side of TNA is completely forgotten, though. That sort of 2002 to 2005 period is just completely forgotten by time. Like, if we're talking TNA OGs, when was the last time Shane Douglas got mentioned on TV? Exactly. Now he's an ECW guy as well. So, anyway, this match was a dud. Well, can, can we just, I just have to point out another wonderful piece of commentary as we're just about to get into this match and the pyro is just about to go off. Josh Matthews gets really excited and he says, it looks like a championship match. It smells like a championship match, but it's not a championship match. <laughs> That's actually a pretty funny line. Is Correct it? Me. Well, it is for Josh Matthews. What, yeah, but you do this great job of building this promo and this video package, and I'm like, this actually looks pretty fun. And then I'm told that it smells like a championship match, and then I think about Tommy Dreamer's hygiene, and it just, like, the whole like, seriousness of the idea completely goes out the window. I think I need to bring up again that I really hate Josh Matthews. I mean, not as, I say I don't hate him, but I just think he's a really bad commentator. And he, he bounces between face and heel, like, mid-sentence. Yeah, he feels like um, that sort of guy who could have made it massive, but decided to go into a smaller sort of institution so he could kind of do whatever he wants. And it's quite clear that he kind of does do whatever he wants at this point. Yeah. He's, got, he's got a lot of control over what he says, does, and how he sells things. And sometimes he can be bothered and sometimes he can't. I think if Impact want to get back to that next level, they need a whole new uh, commentary team. I don't understand why you'd ever get rid of Don West and Mike Tanay. What happened to Mike Tanay? Why, why did he ever leave? I assume he went into retirement to drink cocktails in Las Vegas. I guess so, but... I know Don West is selling stuff somewhere because he's too good at it not to sell stuff somewhere. He's always been selling something somewhere, that guy. uh, He's the only salesman I truly love. But uh, Mike today will always be the voice of TNA and they should have kept him on. Yeah, definitely. But and this ta- this commentary team is just doesn't work at all. Uh, you've got Josh Matthews as the equivalent of Michael Cole. And I don't really like Michael Cole, but Michael Cole is a, in a thousand leagues above Josh Matthews. But Don Callis, I know he's currently running uh, the company pretty much, but he's really bad. He's, um, I don't know whether you've ever seen it much, but Macho Man used to do commentary with Vince uh, in early WWF. Yeah. And he, he literally had nothing to say. So he'd just say, wow, what a move. That was a move. <laughs> Brilliant. Don Callis does the same thing, but he doesn't sound like he's actually in the room. He sounds like spaced out on shrooms all the time. Yeah, I, I really don't like these two. I've not liked them 
They've been there for years now, I think. What happened to Matt Stryker? Let's get him involved. Matt Stryker uh, has recently been involved on a reality television show in which you have to fight for the affection of a woman. Like 10 to 16 men have to fight for the affection of a woman in order so she can pick one of them and let that person impregnate her. Is that the Bachelorette? The Bachelor? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like all of these shows where they all live together and all the men were trying to... Um, get with the woman but this okay, show well, this show's legitimately about matt striker trying to impregnate a woman okay fine so he's busy <laughs> trying to get some woman pregnant that's fine well joey styles he fell off the face of the earth like I, 2005 no idea what joey styles is doing right now anyway so. the point is i'm sure they could <laughs> someone miles better than josh matthews to do this anyway but back to this match it was a complete dud. Even as a hardcore match, it was a dud. They sold the match as an old school match. Had no idea what that meant. They didn't explain the rules at all. At no point. It was only when Tommy Dreamer actually used a trash can I realized, oh, okay, it's a hardcore match. Having nothing at all is ironically very distracting. You had Triple H versus Brock Lesnar in WrestleMania matches, and they were long 25-minute no-holds-barred matches. But the crowd were really silent. And thus the matches became dreadful and just super bad and awkward. And you must realize at this point, you've got Tommy Dreamer in a ring in 2020. This is not going to go well if you had a crowd of 50 volunteers. So I, I, I don't really know what you would possibly ha- have to do to get this match to be exciting in the first place, especially with no crowd. But I feel like that's what killed it. But you know what? Tommy Dreamer's promo... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I actually saw it on social media as well before they showed it in the video highlight package. His promo asking for this match was crazy good. His mic skills are way up there, but obviously he's an old man and can't really move that well anymore. Maybe he should be thinking about working as a manager or an interviewer or commentary or something. Maybe he's their answer to their commentary ways. Maybe. Like, honestly... You can see from these video packages and from his promos, and even for, to some extent from his selling, that Tommy's still got a hell of a lot to offer, despite getting really, really old at this point. It's just, I don't feel like he should be going 10, 12 minutes in an empty arena doing garbage matches with Moose, who at this point honestly looks like he should be traveling on to another company. Because Moose looks great. Moose is an absolute superstar. He looks great. He does... Did he do a moonsault or a... I think it was a moonsault off the top rope. Looked absolutely fantastic. Massive suplexes. Yeah, just great stuff. Do we? Can we talk about the thumbtacks? Right. <laughs> so the match... The, at the end of the match, Tommy Dreamer's got thumbtacks. Why would you use thumbtacks in an empty arena? It's such a like thing to get a crowd buzzing. They didn't really use thumbtacks, did they? They used like a five misstrown thumbtacks from the edge of a primary school art project i know that impacts wrestling's budget isn't necessarily great but i just feel like they could have had a slightly bigger bag (laughs) they just found a drawing board backstage like grab the thumbtacks off that. (laughs) it genuinely feels like it tommy just picked them up on his way out tommy dreamer was like hey let's have a thumbtack match and uh, (laughs) fuck that no it's it's fine we'll just get five it won't hurt yeah, that budget's gone down, man. Actually, speaking of budgets, I was extremely interested 
uh, as to Impact's general financial situation at this point. I wanted to know whether they were genuinely seriously making money. And I've got not, not necessarily concrete, this is concrete, but I did find a, a small article which shows that they made $187,000 in profit in 2019. So somehow they're still making money. Was it when they swapped television providers? Because I I remember they stole Ring of Honor's TV contract or the, the broadcaster bought them out or something. Is that what maybe gave them an influx of cash? Possibly. I mean, Impact slash TNA have been on so many television channels at this point. It's crazy, I, the amount of broadcasters they They just been. get thrown around like an orphan. Everybody thinks they want... Well, this is the problem with wrestling in general. So many people think they want wrestling, but then wrestling just gets hardly any viewers. Yeah, it's the abused child. It's the abused child syndrome. They want it for a couple of weeks because it looks interesting and it looks fun and they think that they can have a little bit of fun with that at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. But then they realize that they actually have to look after it and they have to feed it milk and they have to pat it on the back and they don't want anything to do with it because they think it's ugly. It just needs so much marketing and so much attention, not just impact, all wrestling. Well, it's the, it's the same thing. AEW has fallen off a cliff from ITV. They put them on ITV4 to begin with, and now they're nowhere to be seen. That's because There's no marketing at all for it. That's because the buzz when AEW first started was nuclear all around the world, but now it's just another wrestling show. So the, the buzz is completely diminished. That's a really sad thing to hear, but it, I do believe it is true. But it's not AEW's fault or Impact's fault anyway. It's just... I. I think wrestling just isn't as popular right now and possibly never will be. I think there'll come a point where wrestling just can't be, unless you're WWE, it just can't be on commercial TV. It's going to move to internet subscription sites. People keep saying unless you're WWE, but WWE is genuinely getting a bit scary at this point with the ratings. The subsequent last three weeks, um, they've had their worst ratings since 1993, if not before when there was hardly any crowd and hardly any drum up of anticipation, nobody really even knew who they were. And I re- I'd looked into the actual demographics for 16 to 24 year olds for last week's raw. It's at a 0.16. Jesus. That's like no one. Yeah. Literally like no one. And as you go up from the 24 to 50, 50, 50 plus, then you start to see a, a gradual increase. Still not much, still not great, but it's quite clear that WWE have their few remaining jaded fans like us, and they are not creating any new fans from the younger generation. And isn't it, don't you think it's mental to think that on certain days of the week, WWE might well be selling about 50 t-shirts? That is crazy. That is crazy. So what you're telling me is in three years time there is no way in hell fox is paying another 50 million oh absolutely not no that i think they they regret they're regretting this deal already they we're getting oh they were regretting this deal ever since the second month yeah but it's just going from bad to worse like i feel like it's gotten so much worse not necessarily because of the coronavirus since we started this podcast again do you think ever that was really wor- badly worded. Do you think Netflix... Better worded than WWE's pay-per-view title. <laughs> I bet that's not the first time I'm going to hear you say that today. <laughs> Do you think Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV, Now TV, any one of those will ever pick up wrestling? 
I have no idea why that hasn't happened yet. Netflix is a streaming service that is constant need of new content and new stuff. You you have Netflix too. Like you see the level of shit that they throw on there sometimes just because they need stuff to, to be put on. Wrestling yep. seems like the perfect fit for that. I know they tried out Lucha Underground on USA, but they should just go whole, whole hog, man. They should just throw a weekly wrestling show on there. Not WWE, something that, that's slightly cheaper. And see how it goes. Because the Big Show show, which is dreadful, and I know that uh, WWE's working Netflix relationship, the films, as bad as they are, they perform really well when they come out. A lot of people watch them. They're always in that top tens. I genuinely think you could put it off and it would be good. And this ties back perfectly. Don't you think Impact would be able to be a perfect fit? They would be cheap, but they look quite professional. Yeah. And new content every single week. Netflix, I think, is re- at this point, is really about the content. Like, they have produced, well, not produced, but um, bought the rights to pretty much every Bollywood film ever made recently. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Yeah, there's a lot of Bollywood on there. And it, but Bollywood big. They, they have a massive follow. Bollywood makes more money than all other film industries in the world combined. Oh, no, 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 no. Of course, I'm not saying that. It's just that it quite clearly shows that Netflix are not with, I was not saying it, they're not within the realm of picking anything up. And it's no longer about modern westernized audiences that want a particular type of comedy or action film. So they now have the sort of breadth and growth as a company to pick more niche things up, which might work for a, a wider audience like impact impact's a good idea i feel like netflix would also improve impact's production values to the point where it becomes a a viable contender for something or other god yeah netflix would be a saving grace to impact i'd be on the phone mate uh so after this match we get uh the interviewer i didn't catch her name all night but the interviewer she is looking for the good brothers all night she's trying to get an interview with them but instead, Johnny Swinger turns up in a car and just delivers some tripe of a promo. From um, what I've seen of Johnny Swinger, I've, I love this gimmick. I genuinely do. He's basically just a uh, NWO guy uh, 20 years late. He's a, he's a pastiche of wrestling carny. Um, he, he, he speaks in carny on the television shows, which apparently is putting everything with Isark at the end of your sentence. <laughs> And the two-finger handshake? I don't know what that is. Apparently that was an 80s thing. I have no idea. See, that's another problem I feel like Impact have, as entertaining as that is for me. um, I don't understand three-quarters of the references. And they're quite quite happily throw around buzzwords like face, heel, carny, shoot. Like, I feel like they need to tone that down a little bit. Oh, Don Callis involved in the business. We, we're we're fans watching it. Yeah, Don Callis said Carney uh, like a hundred times. Yeah, I don't really get Don Callis. I feel like he's landed on his feet very well to be running Impact. I don't even remember. I don't remember him in ECW. Um, I don't know whether he was in WWE. I've literally never really heard of the guy. He was in WWE for a bit, but not very famous. He um he had quite a long stint in New Japan as a commentator. But that's where I know him from. But I mean, apparently he was much more famous than that in the 80s and 90s. Did you hear their little dig at uh, WWE during the pay-per-view? Uh, no, I don't think so. Oh, they, they talked about um, 
everybody doing their time in Stanford Institution, but then coming uh, out. And Don Callis was like, yeah, we've both been there, kid. It's, uh, I, like, it's bad enough when AEW do it, but Impact, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> seriously, you can't even mic up Heath Slater properly. I wouldn't be, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was during the women's championship match, right? Oh, uh, yeah, obviously, because she had come from NXT. She had, Yeah, she immediately had just got out of her stint up at Stanford. But before we get to that, we get this knockouts gauntlet match. This was a tough one. This was a tough watch. Uh, we watched this week, as well as Impact, we watched a match in which everybody involved had to literally try and sell a man gouging another man's eye out. And I much preferred that to this. <laughs> that's that's saying so much. This was this was awful. It was just so bad. I've got play by play notes, but we're just not gonna fucking no, that. dude. Um, <laughs> well like the first two minutes happened. The first two minutes happened. I can't remember who was in, but I was like, this is decent. This could be great. Because you're going to showcase all of the talent and it's going to look good and it's like a mini Royal Rumble. And then that Tintin with the dog, the Chihuahua dude, came out dressed in drag and it gave me Santina Morella flashbacks. Oh, that just pissed me off. Like, what? Knockouts Division has always and still is meant to be one of the best women's divisions in the world. And they're doing the whole WWE for a guy in there for cheap laughs shit. But it, it's weird, though, watching this, because it was like entering some sort of strange black hole that is both progressive and backwards. Because you, you've got Kylie Ray doing her best Bailey knockoff, and I'm, that's not a, uh, I'm not dissing Kylie Ray there. I think she's great, but she's got the, the Bailey vibe. You've got um, Ty Valkyrie, who's an accomplished worker, everybody knows. And then you've got... A, professional wrestler that that's wearing rob van damme's clothes that that is an actual stripper gimmick twerking oh a kt forbes is that what you want to yeah so you, you've got her in the middle of proper workers uh basically doing a strip tease and throwing money at herself and then she has a twerk off with kaya hogan yeah kia hogan which i was so disappointed because uh kira hogan is like one of the next biggest things in the women's division she does such great work and has had really good matches and then in this she just looked like an absolute joke well everybody did though and it did oh man i just i i was so glad when this was done do you did you see who eliminated havoc who destroyed everybody it was johnny bravo wasn't it johnny bravo eliminated havoc yeah. after havoc destroyed everyone else i'm guessing is that to save face with havoc she can say that no woman beat her which but that's what which because goes, it's like oh a man beat you which is worse that goes backwards. that goes back to the very fact that somehow impact has created a stage for women which is both progressive and backwards and it's weird because impact have they've melted the lines basically they allow intergender wrestling and they've celebrated it and at times it's been bad but for the most point they've done a good job with it but this time round, they managed to make him look better than all of the women. It was weird. I mean, later on in, in the show, you had one of my favorite matches of the entire week of wrestling that I watched, which was a women's match. But this, this was a mess. It did nothing for the women. Uh, so Kylie Ray won the whole thing. She started right at the beginning, lost to the end. Um, 
I really hope for good things for her. She was. She, did did you remember she was going to be the face of AEW, but then she ended up quitting a couple of months into yeah, AEW. She, she yeah, I remember her coming out in that first uh, pay per view, and she sort of left under mysterious circumstances or whatever. I feel like AEW could look quite different if she had stayed. I think her versus a heel Britt Baker would have been big money. I can't wait for Britt Baker to come back from injury. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully Kylie Ray. She got is she number one contender now? Is that what this match was for? Yes, yes, she's okay. now the number one contender against the uh, Diona Peraza. So after this, we have the commentators talking to camera, and I quite like this. Heath Slater just turned up. So in the background, we just see him jump the guardrail and slide into the ring, and everyone's like, "Oh no!" It's like there's a person here. He kind of invaded, if you like. I thought that was a cool little surprise intro. Yeah, and oh man, this segment was really disappointed me because first of all, Heath looked jacked. He looked in the best condition he's been in in years. His finisher yeah. looked great. He looked he looked like a million dollars here. But there was several things which just baffles. Like first of all, obviously we have to talk about the production because I, I, yeah. I'm trying not to go over the top with production errors in this show because I know that it's a smaller time company and these mistakes are going to happen. They don't have the technology and stuff that WWE or AEW do. But, but this was a lot of mistakes in one show. That's true. You can't really forgive that's that. That's true. But I genuinely couldn't hear what he was saying. I was hoping that you could transcribe it for me because I couldn't hear him. I don't know whether it was the stream I was watching. I know that the mic was broken, but I just couldn't hear a word. I think basically the arena mic, you know, the mic that's above the ring to catch all the loud bumps, was picking him up. The mic he had in his hand was absolutely useless. Yeah. I think the major problem that I had with this is this is free promotion. Out of everybody that you've picked up, and there's a lot more interesting people on the roster that they've picked up recently uh, who are like more worthwhile in ring and for potential. But Heath was on Raw the same week. Yeah. Or the, or the week before, he had primetime spot with the WWE champion. And yet, he talks about, from what I can make out, that he wants to be in the main event. And then he just beats a guy up, who I'm afraid I, I don't know the name of, and then walks out. And then he's, he's in a backstage segment later saying hi to uh, Rhino, and then he gets kicked out by personnel. And he's... And the, the guy literally turns, Heath, Heath Slater literally turns around to Rhino and says, well, at least he was pride about it. Because he's Canadian, Rhino shoots back. Um, what, what's even more annoying about that is that this is literally the story he was doing in 2016 or 2017 on SmackDown when after the draft, he wasn't picked and he became a free agent. It's the yeah. exact same storyline. I feel like you could have just gone exactly down the same route I know that maybe they're intimidated by the fact that Drew McIntyre has already passed through and uh, rehabbed himself, become Impact Champion, and left for WWE again. Maybe they don't want to give Heath Slater that main event time and that opportunity to get there. But I just feel like they've massively dropped the ball with this guy that I think everybody was really interested to see what potential he actually had in a, in a less comedy, less jobber role. Um, and you've just dropped the ball and just allowed him to carry on, as you said, this sort of lower tier comedy character who 
is fine with some dude in in a suit kicking him out. Yeah, this was very very lackluster. And uh, hear me out, but what about this? Because we all expected kind of what happened to happen, that he would go straight back to Rhino. They talked about it out of character, that they would love to team up again. We all expected it. But what if Heath Slater invaded the ring, Rhino walks out immediately, hugs him, it's good to see you again, brother, and Heath Slater just does his finisher on him instead, knocks him out, says, fuck you, I'm a main event player, I'm better than all of the shit here in Impact. I mean, that, that's a, that's already a much better idea because you've set Heath Slater up with something that isn't a, a, a comedy character that he's been playing for the last six, seven years. You also set him up to not look like a joke, which they somehow managed to do on this show. I have no idea how they managed to do it, but all of the interest that I had for Heath Slater is gone. So I, I feel like at the very least, you can play on his character with Rhino and that makes a great, a great amount of sense because you've set up the first feud and you've made him more interesting already than his WWE character. Yeah, I just think um, a lot of people they brought in and already they're quite heel heavy, so they got to have him as a face, I guess. Also, and, man, it's so TNA. It's so TNA. <laughs> just that, run the same character back. Well, no, that um, they get a guy. Obviously, there's copyright issues. So they just drop a surname. How many times have they done that? Three or four times he was just called Heath. He's just Heath now. I didn't even catch that. I just assumed they were calling him Steve Slater. He's literally just called Heath. Oh, right. Okay. That's stupid then. I think that's because that's his real name, right? Slater was made up, but I think that's his first name. I mean, probably. But give the man a surname. Okay, well, after this, we go into the X Division match. Willie Mack versus Chris Bay. Uh, do you like Willie Mack? Because he's another guy, another big guy that does flippy-dippy shit. I don't mind Willie Mack. Uh, I'm entertained by him. He's very crisp. He's very fluid. He does well, what he does very well. The thing that I think, first of all, if you want to go back to my massive big man rant from the other day, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the difference between Willie Mack to me and... Luchasaurus and Wardlow and even Keith Lee as well is that first of all Willie Mack's smaller that I can't say the same for Keith Lee but Willie Mack is a smaller dude than Luchasaurus and Wardlow he's not like seven foot he's just thick yeah but the main thing is with um with Willie Mack is the same sort of thing as Joe when Joe occasionally did flips and stuff it's the fact that when they actually hit, they hit so hard it looks like it hurts. And you saw this in this match as well. Uh, Woody Max got some amazing looking punches and kicks, and he looks like a badass. The, the, the key difference to me is that he, he can do it when he wants to, but he doesn't do it specifically because he can do it. It's part of his arsenal as opposed to his character. Whereas I just kind of felt like Wardlow and Luchasaurus are, that's what they want to do regardless of whether it fits their dynamic or not. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm a big fan of Willie Mack. I have been for a while. I've always thought he's a little bit of a lazy worker in that he can do all of this great stuff. And some of his match, like this match was really polished, was really good. But sometimes his matches come off a little bit lazy. Like you just go through the motions. 
It's um, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've seen quite a few Willie Mac matches uh, in various promotions, and for me, they've never really gone above that was fun. Because the, I mean, I don't know. It's probably not his fault, but like all of his matches are sub ten minutes, and they all are fast paced, then headlocks, then pins. It doesn't feel like he's ever actually. I don't think I've ever actually seen him do like a proper fifteen minute to twenty minute match. Uh, but uh, to be fair, he is in the X division. Division. I, that, I mean, that's is what it is. It's meant to be fast paced and quick. So. I, I guess I'm just basing it upon the last time I saw him, which was uh, NWA pay-per-view for their 70th anniversary. And he went, I think, six minutes with who is now Dexter Loomis. And then he had another match on the show, which went another six minutes. Right. The guy doesn't seem to hang around too long. Maybe, maybe he just can't go long. I, I feel like Max got a load of natural charisma. Like, there's something about him. He doesn't even have to speak. You want to watch him. I don't know what he's got, whether it's a physical charisma or... Like, he's just... I find him interesting. Like, I want to see what he's going to do, you know? I'm a big fan of Chris Bay as well. I don't know if you've ever seen him before. Um, He's been in Impact for a while now. Uh, It was a fun match. It was exactly what an X-Division match should be. Chris Bay won. Um, We'll see what... Hard-hitting, high-flying. And it was... They built the big man versus little man thing well. And they, they managed to, for the I mean, one of the first couple of times, they managed to actually make me get out of the empty arena for once. I, th- I think it was this, this was the first match where I noticed that I wasn't paying attention to the ring bumps and the deathly silence. Maybe that's what's wrong with AEW. Maybe they need an X division, you know, so they can focus all of their high-flying lucha stuff into one or two matches per show leave it there and then have all the rest of their matches not focus on that. So I much. think that's a good idea, but you've got the bucks on the booking committee and I don't think that they would allow any sort of their X division stuff to be shoehorned into a genre. They were in TNA at the same time as Kevin Nash. Like they see how the X division guys are treated. I think true. Oh, well after this, we get the, he states of Rhino promo. We already talked about. And then after that, we go into the tag team championship match, the North versus Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan. This was very sloppy. I did enjoy oh, this. Oh, interesting. I um, actually made a specific note that I didn't expect to enjoy this match as much as I did. Oh, okay. Genuinely, this is the match that I was talking about earlier when I said some some of these guys actually feel professional and polished. <laughs> so we we had a, we were watching different things here. I um. I, th- I think the sloppiness mainly came from Ken Shamrock. I don't know if it's his age, but he, he had a few botches. He dropped uh, guys a couple of times. Oh, yeah, I would agree that K- Ken Shamrock didn't look like he had a main event in running him here. But to be fair, the guy looked great for 56. Oh, he looks great. Yeah, sure. And he, but he, did, he also did a top rope belly-to-belly suplex. He also did a suicide dive. <laughs> yeah, Ken Shamrock at 56 doing a suicide dive. Suck on it, Taker. Not through the ropes, over the ropes as well. That was a bad fall, though. <laughs> yeah, that looked like a hurt. Callahan has always looked great. He really is like the MVP of Impact. And the North... See, the North are good. And I don't know what it is, but I'm biased against them. I've been in and out of Impact for a long time now, and I've just never really got into them and their matches. I completely agree with you, and I'm really glad that you said that. The North are guys that... 
I hear being talked about outside of Impact on the general wider wrestling community. And every time I watch them, I think they're really great workers, but there's something that just does not click with me at all. I don't know if it's one guy wears the um, amateur wrestling earmuffs and the other doesn't, and maybe that that disconnect makes them not look like a team. I think there's a I think that's a good point, but I also think that they have a general disconnect in which they're one of the few tag teams which treat themselves as an actual tag team, and yet somehow, strangely, they don't feel like one. Yeah, they just don't fit. I don't, I don't know what it is because they are they are good. They put on decent matches. I've just never gelled with them. I feel like it is because Ethan Page is a loud, whiny heel. And his character, while while also being a heel, his tag team mate is like a completely different kind of heel. Yeah, and it's a shame because so many other tag teams have made that work, where they're polar opposites, but together it just fits. But these two just feel like they're completely different. Persona. Like they wouldn't be friends in real life. Yeah, and as usual... I get the hype. Every time I see them, I get the hype without getting the hype. I enjoyed what I saw of them, but I wouldn't necessarily go running back to watch them again. I mean, I'd, I'm not saying split them up because I hate tag teams being split up. Definitely when they're um, so established as these guys are. But I feel like both of these could have a good singles run. Definitely Ethan Page. I reckon he could because he can talk. Well, I feel like these two boys, like Moose, are getting to the point now where they're kind of out impacting themselves you can hear nxt calling yeah basically yeah so you enjoyed the match though well i was surprised about how much i enjoyed this match i thought it looked pretty crisp and the callahan shamrock interplay was fun there were some great spots uh i feel like i'm actually intrigued to see a callahan shamrock feud carry on even after that empty arena thing and the north came out looking great the North did end up looking fantastic, but through the majority, definitely of the first part of the match, it felt like the champs were taking a back seat to whatever the Shamrock Callahan story was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that helped. I don't know. I'm not sure that you should actually be trusting my critical opinions this week because I enjoyed a lot of shit that I would usually hate. <laughs> I feel like I've just I've just been a little bit sad and I went to wrestling and as usual, wrestling picked me up and was my friend. And therefore, I, I sort of looked past some of the terrible, terrible stuff that if maybe if I was in a better mood, I would hate more. I think if you were in your normal mood, I don't think you would hate this match, but I think it'd just be a bit of a meh. It was okay. Probably. Um, then the Motor City Machine Guns come out and they challenge the North to a match uh, next Tuesday on the next show. Big kind of advertisement spot. Then we go backstage and the interviewer again didn't catch her name. Is still trying to look for the good brothers, but instead she accidentally knocks on Rich Swan's door and he teases that he's going to be in the main event. Did he tease it? Well, he said he wants to be in it, but he was on crutches and the commentary team. Oh, okay. oh, he's not going to be in it. He can't wrestle. And then nobody cared anyway. Yeah, nobody gives we shit. we get to that. So then we get uh, Diona, is it Prezzo? Diona Perazzo, I think. Oh, that's a difficult Italian-American name. I, well, I had her as down as Diona Brazza for Brazza. about. I think that's because for twenty minutes. I think that's because that's how um, Josh Matthew says it. I think he says it wrong. Um, <laughs> correcting the impact announcer on a fucking wrestling podcast <laughs> by fan. Um, what's really annoying is she is the exact same age as me. Like born on the same day, same year, everything. Who Diona Brazza? Yeah. Do you oh agree? wow! 
Do you ever get annoyed when you watch um, a sports star and they're the same age or younger than you and you're just like, I can't fucking do that. And that's yeah, no, I, I, I did get, I used to get that. And now I've just accepted myself as a slowly getting fat and bald. Every time I watch the Olympics and there's like a 21 <laughs> year old, it's like, oh, fuck's sake. I was eating pizza what? and drinking beer at 21. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, I, I mean, I could not believe that Ace Austin was 22 years old. Yeah, man. He's young. That's crazy. He doesn't even look that age, though. He looks older. Yeah, he looks like he's seen some shit. Anyway, Diola Perrazzo, Jordan Grace, another great video package. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but Jordan Grace is my favorite woman wrestler in the world right now and has been for like over a year. I can absolutely see why. She has got the look. She can talk. She Her movesets are just amazing. I love it. It's great. They did a really great video package here again. Really set the match up. Made me want to watch it. There's something about Impact video packages tonight that they're setting a feud up, which makes it feel like a war, which is great, great stuff. And um, they also made Diona Perrazzo, I assume she hasn't been in Impact long, like a couple of weeks. They yeah, made her look like a, feel like a big deal coming in. And I feel like pretty much any other promotion, even AEW, would, would have dropped the ball with this. She really has got the best deal out of all the Black Wednesday firings, right? Yeah. Like immediately into a top spot, wins the championship, biggest promotion. I feel like she's got a bigger head start than even what the Good Brothers or EC3 got. Yeah, no, definitely. Obviously, the main event had a lot of star power and that was a different kind of match. But over this show and over Extreme Rules, I think this was my favorite one-on-one traditional competition. I am with you. This is my favorite match of the weekend. Same, yeah. Had a lot of fun with this definitely something you would love there was a lot of working the arm and they used that in story there was one moment where i think it was perrazzo was doing a roll up and then grace caught her in a sleeper hold and it looked so fluid so great that was one one thing i noticed throughout this match right up even to the end every transition was so smooth they did like at one point like a schoolboy into a submission headlock which was just instantaneous and then obviously at the end they did a um jackknife cover into an attempted powerbomb into a double armbar without making it feel like it had it took them any effort at all these two worked so well together uh, both women were, were trying to find the submission all the way through the match it was like a real chess match it was fantastic i loved it yeah dude this this felt like i don't know how old they are but i i, I would assume that they're in their mid late 20s or early 30s this felt like a match that had actually been put on by two guys that had been in the business for like 30 years i already told you perrazzo is the exact same age as me yeah yeah sorry yeah they go all technical at the beginning feeling each other out uh starting to go for the submissions then they slowly get more violent. Then Jordan Grace is getting frustrated, starts using her obvious power and size. Diana hooks her eventually by taking that power and utilizing it against her. It was just such a great layout. It, it, it's quite obvious that they sat down and talked about this for a while, and it shows. And if this had been main event, I would have been very happy. Yeah, would have gone home happy with that. Jordan Grace is 24. Oh, my. So... These two that's a lot that's a lot of talent in that ring for that age yeah 24 and 26 these two are really gonna be the stars of uh women's wrestling in the future and they've both already been impact champions i'm, I'm a bit gutted grace lost it already she's only had it oh i can't tell you when she picked it up but it's not been very long i keep half an eye on impact just like you do and that was the one thing that i took away from this i don't i didn't feel like diana needed the belt going in 
And I remember it being quite a big moment when Jordan Grace won it, I think, from Ty Valkyrie. Uh, yeah. Um, and it goes into what I was saying about the Motor City Machine Guns. It felt like all the debuts and the new guys were going over the established roster a bit too much. Yeah, that was definitely a, a theme throughout the show. I think I kind of knew that was going to happen going into this show. I think everyone did. It was their main spell. Yeah. Uh, well, after this match, we get the two commentators selling that you can pre-order the DVD of this show right now. Like, uh, who the fuck is buying this on DVD? No, but, no, no, but like, just not even who is buying this. Just the idea that Josh Matthew is trying to sell pre-orders of the DVD of the event that we are currently watching. <laughs> it's just awkward as fuck. Like, if you saw that promo, you're already watching it. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't need to it. It's fine. That was that was typical classic Josh Matthews and Don Callis impact bollocks that I I have grown to love over the course of this show. Like, why did that exist? Hey, you got to pay the bill somehow. Oh my god, man, that was so small time. That was like one of those intermissions in like local wrestling shows in small towns where they do the Polaroid pictures with the wrestlers. Yeah. It's the same level. Yeah, basically is. Um, and then before we go into the main event, we get another video. Again, we've we've already commented about the videos. But this one was hyping who the fourth mystery man was going to be. I just want to run down some of the names of the clips that they showed in this video. All right? I'm glad you caught him. So, <laughs> so we've got EC3. We've got uh, Brian Myers, Eli Drake, Mike and Maria Canellas. All of them are strong contenders. All of them could be it. But then we got James Storm and Billy Ray. Both men have said they're never coming back. Then we get Mr. Anderson. I'm pretty yeah. sure after NWA, he's like retired. And then we get Kurt Angle and Sting. I was like, come on. No one. Kurt Angle and Sting. I missed that bit. It's well, almost the last image was Sting holding up the belt. And it's like, fuck, sake, come on, really? <laughs> Sting turning up? I, get um, fucked. <laughs> Impact truly is at this point like the Del Boy of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so you any dodgy shit out the back of their van just to try and get it gone. Like going from selling a, a, a DVD of the event you're watching to advertising Kurt Angle and Sting as the fourth man against Trey and Ace Austin. <laughs> it's ridiculous, it's just, right? I love it. So, I love it. So I mentioned earlier, but this is the point where I got really annoyed is like impact isn't TNA. Stop relying on your old um, video catalog. And it's a different place. It's a different feeling. Like Kurt Angle and Sting were never a part of impact. Let's not pretend. They do that continually though. When I stopped watching impact again, they would have uh, about 25 minutes of their show from an old piece of footage um, and they'd relate it to whatever was going on Raw that week. So <laughs> you just have like one of their old guys and they'd find a match of those old guys in their Impact network and just throw that on their main TV show for about half an hour. Pretty sure they were doing that up until a couple of months ago. Yeah. So, All right, so we get into the match. It was actually a really fun match. Yeah, I enjoyed myself here. Rich Swan was the first uh, entrant to come out. And that was a little bit disappointing because we all thought it was going to be a new debut. We well, also right? thought it was really awkward as to how the announcers found it disappointing. Um, Josh Matthews just went quiet, and Don Callis was 
kind of defending it like this is a really good surprise this is a really good surprise like when you get an unwanted gift at your birthday like you won't be selling it <laughs> whatsoever and then when he enters the ring we get a new music that i guess we've never heard before and eric young comes out and he's not old school tna eric young he's like the insanity eric young and that was eric fun. young looked great here it's so nice to see him in a place i'm sure you agree so nice to see him in a place where they allow him to work properly. Like, I know that I'm pretty sure that you are too. Like, we're big Eric Young fans. And it was very disappointing to see how he was used, just like how EC3 is used in WWE. So it's so nice that both of those two guys, uh, who I'm most interested in coming back, um, have managed to land on their feet at least so that I can watch them do their thing. I'm so excited for Eric Young and this company. There's a lot of matchups that I hopefully, hopefully they put on are going to be great. Him and Sammy Callahan. I mean, even him and Rich Swan, based upon this match, look like they could have some great matches in the in the later period of this match. They had some great back and forth. And I, I don't want to steal your play-by-play thunder, but didn't Eric Young look like an absolute monster at the end of this match? He looked crazy. He looked scary. He looked intimidating. Yeah, for a the good portion of the first half of the match, he just destroyed everyone. He was really controlling the whole thing. He was thing. also screaming in, in, in um, not a nice way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got that this match was chaotic, but in a good way. It wasn't crazy all over the place. It still felt tight and controlled, but there was just shit going on all the time. Oh, yeah. This was, um, this was crazy exciting work from everyone involved, especially Rich Swan. Never had time for Rich Swan. I didn't like him in 205. And I didn't like him when I saw what I saw of him in Impact. But he was on fire here. Eric Young got rolled up eventually by Rich Swan by surprise. And Eric Young just goes absolutely fucking crazy. Destroys Rich Swan's injured leg with a chair. Uh, which I guess nicely sets up Eric Young's first feud with Rich Swan, maybe. I also think the, the hard way bleeding actually ended up helping the look of Eric Young in this match because he looks psychotic like a crazy monster and it it worked with the bleeding yeah he looked like a crazy man I also liked um again not guys I'm familiar with I liked Ace Austin and Trey having a bit of rivalry throughout this match I feel like it added another layer to the layout of the five way and obviously this was a traditional five way so we had a lot of guys laying around quite a bit but I didn't mind that so much because they were telling individual stories through different strains. And it was quite cleverly worked out, really. Yeah, I mean, it ends up being Ace Austin and Eddie Edwards, and supposedly they've got beef. Well, Eddie Edwards wins the belt, which I guess makes sense. Ace Austin, I think, is a bit too young and green to be their top champ. He was X-Division champ a while back. Yeah, I don't think Trey's there either. No, I, I think the Rascals, with their current gimmick, could never be that, those top guys. Well, aren't they uh, weed smokers? Basically, yeah. They're like meant to be party guys. Okay. So Eddie Edwards is the best fit, I think. And also, we've got a load of new guys coming in, most of them heels. So maybe it's good Eddie Edwards is at the top as a babyface. I mean, honestly, I don't really know anything about Eddie Edwards since the American Wolves. And uh, I know that Davey Richards, I think, is now training to be a surgeon. Um, which is why those two split up. But they were one of my favorite tag teams back in the day. But I haven't really seen anything Eddie Edwards has done. I know he fell in love with a kendo stick for a while. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't in this match much, man. He he wasn't really... He Not until like, the end. 
he kind of felt like the fifth member that they add, you know, that is just there to take bumps. He didn't feel like he was a focal part for the majority of the duration of this this match. Well, to be fair, until the final two, it was really Eric Young's match. Yeah, I mean, it it was a crazy belly to belly suplex into the open, though. The, like towards the end there. Um, I also just wanted to point out that I don't know whether you noticed, but Ace Austin is wearing a mouthpiece which has has cards printed on it. Oh, I didn't I, see. That's cool. I think I thought that was nice attention to detail. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't see that. So after this match, the Good Brothers finally turn up. They got dope ass new t-shirts. No interviewer in sight. She was unlucky. She didn't get a hold of it. <laughs> so they get into the ring, and uh, Ace Austin and Madman Fulton are like, have Eddie Edwards go at him. Show us what you're going to do. And then they come and save Eddie Edwards. So they've debuted as the good guys. This was uh, my least favorite debut. I And I thought that they actually looked the worst out of everyone here. They had a James Storm ripoff music they came out for seemingly no reason into the main event they had no reason to be involved with ace austin at all and they then they missed catching their beers and it was just i don't know i didn't feel this at all and i'm not really interested obviously they were booked uh because impact thought they were the biggest wwe guys coming in so they were booked to be the most interesting uh debuts but i just i wasn't feeling it and i, I was hoping that them coming to Impact would freshen up their characters a little bit. So I actually finally understood what the big deal was with them in the first place. But I didn't see it here at all. Well, there wasn't much to see, was there? I mean, it was a massive, it was a massive surprise for me that they came in as the good guys. I almost certainly thought they were just going to come in and beat the shit out of someone. I can't help but feel that's a double bluff, though. I marked out hard for EC3 at the end. Yeah, so we got a video package of EC3, because of course we did. I mean, we all knew... EC3 was going to be in here somewhere. Not? I marked out like a 12-year-old. He looked so cool here. And you've known for years I've been a massive EC3 fan and I hated what WWE did with him. And it's so cool to see this coming on. And this is actually why I believe that the Good Brothers are a double bluff. In his video package, there's three glasses, three hands. I believe that the Good Brothers are saving face until later joining EC3's stable because I, I feel like EC3 is not going to be a singles wrestler he's he's going to be the head or a leader that's a fun idea that's really cool so basically impacts version of a bullet club yeah yeah I really like that idea hopefully that actually happens uh, I think EC3 actually got the best debut out of everyone on this show just a short tiny little thing right at the end just like we don't need to tell you exactly who he is because you already fucking know who he is and he's here and he looked jacked and he looked interesting and he looked amazing there and it just said you better tune in to the next tv show yeah, and he, like he finished the show as well it was quite clear that they saw ec3 as the biggest value of who they picked up and he's definitely going to be healed so him versus eddie edwards could likely be the first major story for him honestly before ec3 turned up i wasn't planning on checking out impact because i felt like i'd seen it all on this show they disappointed me with Heath slater I thought I'd, I, would, they, I was disappointed with the Good Brothers thing. I was mildly interested in Eric Young, but I don't feel like that was enough. But with it, uh, EC3 added, I might check it out if I've got the time. I actually might. So I guess they've achieved what they kind of wanted to. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this show. There was th- three or two awful matches, two really good matches, and a ton of production issues. But um, 
the bar was set so low. I mean, it's impact. We all know what impact is. So I came into it not expecting to have a fun time, and I had a fun time. Yeah, same. And, you know, I feel like it was worth the price of admission for women's championship match in the main event. So I'm glad that I actually did watch this show in the end just to see those two matches and know that they were great and they exist. Just to let you know, I'm not sure whether you've seen any news recently, Brian Myers turned up on Impact last night. Yeah, well, I thought he was going to be at Slammiversary, I, I, but... I feel like they've... I've, I kind of feel like they've signed pretty much everyone and they're just going to, like, release them in slow installments because if this whole thing is to try and get eyes on the television product, then they'll be holding a couple of surprises like Kurt Hawkins behind to try and get that same level of investment that they've already experienced from Slammiversary. So I've got a feeling that Kurt Hawkins is one of the last, but maybe not the last. He's definitely not the last. I reckon Mike Canales is going to turn up as well. Not that that's maybe the most interesting. I mean, I mean that's, that's the thing, right? If they are saving these week by week for more and more surprises, do you really want to end on Mike Canales? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, maybe Mr. Anderson will actually come back. Oh, no, that was it. They want to remake um, Aces and Eights. I don't want to see Mr. Anderson on the TV anymore. He's got, like, go-away heat with me. He Because always... he was the leader of Aces and Eights at one point, wasn't was he? he? I know well, he was remember. In... I don't know if he was the leader. He was but I, I feel like the Aces and Eights thing might have just been another bluff like Kurt Angle and Sting to try and make you tune in. Yeah, possibly. Because they were showing pictures of D'Lo Brown everywhere. Yeah, well, he, I mean, I think they, he had a little spot where he was just sitting at his desk with his coat, but maybe he's just nostalgic about his coat, you know? <laughs> maybe that's the thing. Like, that was the last big, that was the last big gimmick he was in, bro. Like, maybe he just likes wearing it and it makes him feel better. It was Taz, wasn't it? Taz was the leader of Aces and Eights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because it was uh, Bully Ray for a little while and then Devon tried to stop him and then Devon just joined him. And then it turned out it was Taz all along. I'm absolutely shocked, by the way, that nobody has picked Rusev up yet. Rusev's injured, isn't he? I don't care, man. Rusev was the one name coming out of everything, all of those releases, where I thought he would have gotten a contract within a week. And he seems to be the only one sitting on the shelf. I'm still 100% convinced. I don't know how long Rusev is injured for, but once he's good to go, he'll turn up in AEW. I want to see Rusev in AEW so bad. We talked about it before. I feel like Cody Rhodes, Rusev could be this generation's Hogan, Flair, Hogan Savage, Hogan whatever. When he was in WWE, I actually genuinely believed that they had a Stone Cold Steve Austin and a Rock right there, and they were called B- Big E and Rusev. Yep. Like in a different environment, they could have been mental massive. Yeah. Right. So we get on to Extreme Rules. Sure. Uh, so what's the official title? I need a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what put you over the edge. <laughs> uh, extreme Rules. No, no, give me the full name. WWE, The Horror Show at Extreme Rules 2020. It's a very silly name, well, isn't it? That's their third reworking of the title because it was just Extreme Rules and then it was Extreme Rules colon Horror Show. And then they realized that people were going to mock that because it is genuinely probably going to be a horror show with an eye versus an eye match on it. So they had to try and turn it into 
a characterized version of what a horror show is as opposed to using a colon to say that this extreme rules was going to be a horror show so it became the horror show at extreme rules well basically was anyway when this show first started um did, my well, thinking first of all, i ask you every month did you watch the kickoff no, I didn't watch the kickoff. <laughs> yeah, that's your reply every month. So I watch the kickoff so you don't have to. And <laughs> Thanks for taking one for the team, Chief. That's, that's no problem. But I'd just like to inform you that WWE has made my job easier because they know somebody out there has to watch the kickoff as the co-host of a wrestling podcast show because the other guy refuses. So I no longer have to trawl through the pre-show to find anything of note. The network has finally put all segments to do with any sort of content, um, as well as matches, in the highlight segments. So I, I can avoid JBL staring blankly at the camera and Booker T looking at himself in the mirror, and I can just actually sit through the the things that are new content and not people talking okay but that's that's great it's good for you well you missed well, devon well uh yeah i know they mentioned later on in the show that devon was there what was what was the match then well no it wasn't a match it was uh an interview with new day devon joins them biggie makes a dick joke they make a dig at bully ray which is interesting for some reason um it was just a comedy promo. I, I so, have literally nothing to say about it. <laughs> so, so there was no match on the kickoff? Oh, so, no, no, okay. So um, there was another MVP promo, and then it was Kevin Owens versus Murphy on the pre-show. Okay. And this is a theory I have. The theory that I have about Extreme Rules up until the I versus an I match started here, because uh, this is a quick fire fight. Um, it it goes hard, it goes quick. It kind of feels like Owens knew he was winning short, but wanted to help Murphy get his shit in. And it's so fast-paced. Uh, there's buckle bombs and top turnbuckle stuff within a few minutes. Within five minutes, Murphy is already on the offense with a finisher level. Uh, it's just frenetic. It leaps into there's an amazing leap into a moonsault from Kevin Owens, and it was just like bam, 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 bam. Let's get this quick out and done but try and get like fit all of the stuff of a main event match into six minutes but obviously owens won um okay. and, that. and it didn't lead into anything later on uh in the seth Rollins match i was surprised none of his click turned up this whole this i sent you a text earlier and we get it, obviously get into it later but this whole th build has been super weird Kevin Owens facing Murphy for no apparent reason because Kevin Owens has been mocking Seth Rollins for potentially having his eye taken out on Raw. It's, what a face move. Like, you haven't been watching Raw, and this is where I can fill you in. The Raw build-up of this has been really weird. If you're going to have an eye versus an eye match, you would at least assume that the heel creates it, right? Yeah. Well, Rey Mysterio asked for the eye versus an eye match. Everybody looks shocked. Seth Rollins looks scared. Kevin Owens looks disgusted. And then the next week, they have a promo, which you probably saw in the video package, where Seth Rollins says an eye for an eye, ponderingly, about eight times. And then he genuinely says, well, when I thought that, Ray, when Ray said that, I thought that was metaphorical. 
and I didn't believe that he actually wanted to take my eye out. And then he talks about how they probably could have had a different type of match or something like that. Rollins comes across as the normal human being here. He, he, he's, he's wondering and is very confused as to why and how he's suddenly gotten drawn into a match in which he has to literally gouge the other person's eye out. Yeah. And then Kevin Owens comes out, makes an eye joke, and takes an eye patch out of his pocket and starts laughing at Seth Rollins for taking it seriously. Uh, even with the finish, Rollins came across here as not the victim, but the... Yeah. Like, he doesn't seem like he's the villain. Yeah, it's the weirdest booking, man. Honestly, it's the strangest book. I know we'll get into it later. I just wanted to give you a little bit of build-up. Okay, well, the show starts off with a horror-esque montage, and uh, this is why I kept asking you about the title. When I watched this opening, I was really confused as why this isn't a Halloween pay-per-view. Oh, I have no idea either. Um, based upon what we later saw... I assume this is a horror pay-per-view out of desperation. There's no other reason for it to exist in, in this fashion. Because WWE loved their theme events. This would be perfect in October. But no, it just no, they, happens they... here in the middle of fucking January. July. <laughs> if, you, if you were looking for an explanation from the television shows as to why this was a horror show, I can't actually explain it to you. When they started promoting Extreme Rules, it was just called Extreme Rules. It became horror show colon extreme rules about two weeks later quietly and then they made it into a full thing where on raw every time they were advertising a match there would be a scream cutting in and away from the graphics oh god there was a scream all the way through this show yeah that's been going on raw and smackdown every for time. the past month what is that such a halloween thing it's and it's not fun at all it was really annoying I can only assume that Vince had obviously they're playing been playing with the Rollings eye angle for ages, and it was actually building up to be the great the best thing on WWE television. So Seth Rollins once again somehow manages to win me over as the thing that I actually look forward to watching on the two hour and a half two and a half hour shit show. They take something good, they take something great. Rollins looked really sinister trying to get people's eyes out, and then they make it literal. I can only assume that this is a McMahon fever dream. That's the exact same thing they did at Backlash. Yeah. They took a fun tagline and they made it literal that this has to be the best match ever. They didn't learn from their mistakes. They did the exact same thing on the next pay-per-view. Well, no, what this is basically is Vince... I think, has never gotten to the levels of ratings on television that he is currently at. Vince is fully panicking for the first time, I think, ever. And it's not a similar panic to the Monday Night Wars because Vince is old now and he's been very comfortable for a very long time. And the ratings have tanked, but they haven't even tanked because of coronavirus. Everything else around them is performing either normally slightly less or pretty well. And Vince doesn't really know what to do, which is why we now have greatest matches of all time and literal eye versus eye matches. He's desperately trying to get eyes on the product in any way he can, but not for the right reasons. And I'd look this up later, and Rey Mysterio's uh, name actually doubled in Google searches across the pay-per-view from this match. So obviously he did get the attention that he deserved. 
um, my girlfriend, the only thing that she wanted to watch on this show, the only thing that she was intrigued by was the I versus an I match. But she wasn't intrigued because she was invested in the storyline. She was intrigued morbidly to see how shit it could possibly be. Well, that's it. It's the morbid curiosity. They even said that in their own video hype package, that it's morbid curiosity. And everyone just wanted to see what this fucking thing was going to be. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be any good. It's just panic booking. And all these taglines, you think, is just Vince trying to add extra hype to the shows. Yeah, well, I mean, I know we keep talking about the title, but it's actually pretty funny. The horror show aspect was added to try and make the pay-per-view sound more interesting, to try and generate more buzz. But then they realized, a little too late, that it sounded like they were mocking their own product. Yeah, it became so convoluted in in an actual sentence because they had to plainly state that we are not saying that this pay per view is going to be a horror show, <laughs> which is why I found it so funny, you know. But it's this is panic after panic after panic, and it's been clearly seen in the last two plus months of WWE pay per views, as you said, with the greatest wrestling match of all time. They they're clutching at straws. They really are. Do you think SummerSlam is going to get a uh, fun little tagline? I'm sure without a doubt there'll be... If you've got the greatest wrestling match of all time at Backlash and you've got a literal I versus I match um, at... Sorry, let me just... WWE, the horror show at Extreme Rules 2000. <laughs> You'll make sure you get it right every time. Then I'm pretty sure you'll get something absolutely insane at uh, SummerSlam, probably involving Rob Gronkowski, for for what I know from Vince's tastes. Yeah. Uh, was um, the Swamp Fight added before or after the tagline? The Swamp Fight was added with the tagline, but the I versus an I was um, mentioned just before. So what I believe happened was Vince couldn't sleep one night as usual, after working out for six hours, he decided that he wanted to do a literal I versus an I match and then base the whole pay-per-view around being a horror movie. And I feel like that's where the tagline got added in and then they turned Wyatt Strowman thing into a movie. The whole thing only makes sense if it's I'm not it, Halloween. I already said it, so we won't keep beating a dead horse. But well, What are they going to do at Halloween now? <laughs> Exactly. Well, isn't, isn't Hell in a Cell usually at Halloween? Yeah, but they're going to have to like chop a leg off or something at this point. Oh, Jesus. This is July. Got to keep up amping, amping the danger. Anyway, let's get into the show. All right. So we start off with New Day versus Cesaro, Shinsuke Nakamura for, for in a tables match for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships. Um, this was a fun little opener. It was less of a wrestling match and more of a how can we creatively dance around tables without breaking them. This was like a video game death match and I was really confused as to why I enjoyed it so much. It was so quick and fiery straight from the get-go. I enjoyed this a lot. I thought you'd hate this. Yeah, no, I thought I would hate it as well. Uh, it was so manic. I think it, that, that was the, the key point for me. It, like I've seen a lot of spot fests and I've seen a lot of high flying garbage matches, but this was crazy on a different level. And this was so. This is my theory about this pay per view because I noticed it again in Bailey versus Nikki Cross, 
were faster than normal, not normal WWE style. It was going too hard, too quick, too fast. And I feel like that this is not a choice of the wrestlers. I, I think they were instructed to do this, to go at sort of a frenetic pace, to try and, I don't know, ease the iron eye versus an eye match in, in some way, to try and make it more palpable to the audience. Well, I think maybe WD have just realized that their audience don't love seven hour long pay-per-views. Well, this was two and a half. This was two hours and 34 minutes, man. Yeah, this is the length of what a pay-per-view used to be in the early 2000s. And it's much more of an easier watch. I feel like it's only two and a half hours, though, because Apollo was injured. Otherwise, it would be a normal level two hour 50 pay-per-view that they used to do. Mm. But what did you think of the tables match? Did you not like it? So not a single lock or hold in this entire thing. But I like spot fest wrestling, which you don't. And um, I, I don't know. It was fun. I got on with it. I thought it was a bit silly how they kept setting up tables, like more so than in a normal tables match. They just kept setting up more and more and more and more tables. Oh, dude, at one point, Shinsuke takes a table from under the apron with a table literally about a meter behind him. Yeah, it, it got a bit silly, the amount of tables they set up. Um and then they eventually did the double-decker table thing, and Kofi went through that. It was fun. It was everything, I guess, a tables match should be. There was so many tables, and nobody was really doing anything but teasing going through the table. I found it really uh, refreshing for uh, specifically for a WWE opener, because a WWE opener usually is not this crazy. It's usually not gimmicked, and it's usually not this sort of, as you said, spotty. It's it's generally uh, like a Rowan versus a Ziggler or a Kofi versus a Miz, and it's a straight 10, 12-minute match to apparently get the crowd going, but it never actually does. Mm, there was a lot of things on this show that were done differently, and I think I enjoyed the show more because, not because it was good, but just because it was something a bit different, something fresh. It felt like a little bit of a shake-up for once, and I'm all for that, even though a lot of it was really bad. It just feels like we've watched the same stagnant, stale product for so long that when they do literally anything else that we criticize on other shows, <laughs> yep, it's it's fun because it's WWE and I can't believe that they're not following the same boring rotor, you know? Yep, exactly. So then we go backstage. Uh, there's a load of women hyping Nikki Cross in her upcoming match and Oscar looks fucking dumb. Not sure why she was Yeah, there. super bad, super bad, man. They were hanging around with each other, um, building each other up, and Nikki's like, I hope I win, or something like that. And Alexa Bliss says, yeah, we hope you win too. And Asuka's like, yeah, I hope I win. Like, you're the champion, bro. Asuka should not be involved with this sort of segment. She shouldn't be anywhere near chanting mantras about how that they hope they can get a victory because Oscar should already know that she can. But I don't, I'm already even analyzing this too much. I've thought about it more than whoever put it together. Oh, the, did. It wasn't even put together. It was just like, say good luck for all the camera go now. Yeah. But it led straight into the Nikki cross versus Bailey match. And this was great. I love this match. I enjoyed it. Maybe not as much as you, but you see what I mean, where it was another fast-paced, competitive... It was very quick, uh, non-stop as well. Uh, Nikki Cross really looked like a legit competitor in this match. 
There were several times it looked like she could beat Bailey. I never really thought it was going to happen, but it definitely raised her stock levels in the company, I think. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like the, for once, WWE did a good job this week. As we've mentioned over and over again, uh, Drew McIntyre, Bailey, Asuka, most of their core champions, Paul Strowman, pretty much all of their core champions have been given feuds of the month to occupy them for a little while until they can hope that crowds come back and they start a proper feud. And it's been going on for ages now. Asuka's had Nia Jax, Bailey's had Tamina, Drew McIntyre's had a slew of opponents and he's never had the same opponent on a pay-per-view. What they did tonight, I believe, was they did something a little bit different which made me feel like while they were in that match, they were worthy to be there. Yeah, Nikki Gross definitely felt like... I don't know how she got this match, but it felt like she deserved to be on Bailey's level. Bailey is too too good to be doing competitor of the month, though. She's at the top of her game. Desperately needs something to utilize her talents for, and I feel like if they are going for finally going for the Bailey versus Sasha Sasha split, Bailey needs a proper feud that she can sink her teeth into before she then just turns around and does that. Because you can't build people up like Drew and Bailey when you're just sort of feeding them competitors month by month that don't actually mean anything. Yeah, and it's a shame because Bailey is on the run of her career. Her character right now is amazing. I wouldn't hesitate to say that Bailey has been the MVP of coronavirus. Did you see when Bailey made her entrance, she was humping the Perspex glass yeah. to make the belt smash up against it to show yeah, it off to the crowd? Yeah. And I was like, if that was anyone else, that would be so fucking dumb. And character destroying, but it just works for her cockiness. She made it work, and it didn't seem silly. I mean, it's, Bailey was good as always on this show. I know you don't watch the weeklies, but this is literally Bailey now. Everything she does turns to gold, and there's so many small little bits that she is subconsciously aware of. I feel like anybody out of everybody during this period, Bailey has truly finally come into her own. Oh, definitely. Even when I was still watching, Bailey was the MVP. There was a nice moment in this when uh, Nikki mocks Bailey's old face persona and does like the inflatable arm uh, taunt. Oh, I missed that. Uh, that was fun. And then the match ends with uh, Sasha slyly handing Bailey the knuckle dusters that she wears, distracts the ref, and Bailey uses its sheets to get the win. Shenanigans, as always, with these two, which I guess makes sense. Stupid amounts of shenanigans on this show in general, to be honest. I we'll get to it when we get to the next women's match, but I actually wasn't angry with it. You didn't. You okay? Whoa. Okay. So let's carry on. So then, after this, we get a mini episode of the Firefly Funhouse. There's some gross horror footage leading into Bray being Count Dracula in front of a home science lab. Not is that a thing now? I don't no, know. No, okay. this cool. completely, completely came out of nowhere, and there is too much comedy here to have any similar vibe to the usual fun houses. Yeah, this is what I, I'm angry at myself. I laughed at this joke, but it just doesn't fit Bray's character at all. So Bray says, "I'm going to show you the most horrifying footage you've ever seen," and then we cut to the Usos having a karaoke promo. Yeah, and I, I actually watched that in real life. Um, <laughs> and there was absolutely no point to the segment then, and it was never followed up. And I, I feel like in some sick way, 
<laughs> that they got these poor women to do that karaoke thing on SmackDown purely so that Wyatt could make a joke out of it on a shitty promo on a pay-per-view. Because there's literally no other reason for it to exist. If that are oh, that's evil if that is what really happened. I can't feel but I can't help but feel like that was a thing that was created so that Wyatt could make a throwaway joke on it. Because yeah. there's no reason, rhyme or existence for it. It was just announced and then it just happened and nothing ever came from it. That sounds like a Vince thing to do if he actually ever did long term booking. But um, <laughs> so, so it cuts back from this karaoke segment and then Bray shouts at uh, Rabbit, who's apparently his editor now, and it made me laugh. And I was annoyed at myself for laughing because it was a stupid gag that just only hurts Bray's character. Yeah, I didn't really laugh at this. I, I wasn't particularly looking forward to the Wyatt um, Swamp match in general. Uh, over SmackDown, they had one good video package, which you saw on this pay per view anyway. But they they've really had no interaction. Uh, I think Bray Wyatt has just had a child. So he hasn't been on SmackDown really, or even really been doing Firefly Funhouse videos. He really it's, hasn't been doing much since WrestleMania. No, it's just this has come out of nowhere, literally nowhere. Because Braun had a random match with Miz and Morrison in between their feud, and then Bray yeah, I remember turned that. up for like a minute or two and said, "I'm going to fight you," and Braun said, "Okay," and that was it. Okay. So uh, I had very limited. What I'm saying is, I had very limited investment in this match, and I think everybody else did. And then you put Bray Wyatt into something that really Santino Morella should be doing. Yeah, it was a silly gag. So Apollo Crews is injured, right? So he can't have his match. No, <laughs> Ben, this is not true. So Apollo Crews is off the show for full, failing a pre-match physical due to an injury sustained from Lashley's full Nelson. Okay. Apollo Crews actually has coronavirus, but God forbid we acknowledge Jesus, real life. Force. Really? Yeah. That's fucked, man. But what, what, what else do you expect from this company? It, yeah, no, the full Nelson hurt Apollo Crews last month so much <laughs> that he can't do a match a month later for his championship. It. Yeah, apparently Apollo, Malta said a couple of days ago, the reason Apollo's off the show is because he's got coronavirus and so have a lot of other unnamed people and it's just getting worse and worse to the point now where Ric Flair's wife has coronavirus and Ric, Flair, Ric Flair potentially has coronavirus but is pretending that he doesn't. How is this company allowed to fucking exist right now? I have no idea, man. It's... Oh, I mean, it makes my next point a bit redundant. But, but, well, so, like, I assume that you had some sort of form of point about Apollo being taken off TV for uh, illegitimate injury or something, but it really does show WWE's psychological mindset uh, over coronavirus and whether it's not only important, but whether they actually need to talk about real life situations or they're just going to live permanently in the fairy tale because i was actually i'd heard that news i'd heard the apollo news before i watched the pay-per-view but i didn't know what they did on the pay-per-view so when i heard i think it was todd phillips saying oh yeah apollo's injured from a, a full nelson a month ago I, I actually couldn't believe my ears like like <sighs> it feels like they just don't care about their people either like, they're all just interchangeable. This guy can't come anymore, so fuck it, throw him away. 
and MVP's now the flavor of the month until he gets Corona, and then yeah, someone this, else. Will this do. seems to be a general thing, sure, but uh, it's not everything is a storyline. You can easily just say Apollo Cruz has coronavirus. They did it with Moxley. Like AEW are not shy about saying that their wrestlers have come into contact with coronavirus, and they have it. And we're we're going to talk about it, and it's going to happen. This is real. Let's talk about something else now. But Vince doesn't believe that a virus can beat you. It's been made very famous before that he will f- like he doesn't believe that colds exist. Oh, he hates sneezing. <laughs> yeah, you know, so he, he probably doesn't even think Corona is a real thing. He thinks everyone's just being a big dramatic sissy about it. I would be very surprised if up until the past week. Vince had been wearing a uh, mask. I would assume he started wearing a mask now because Donald Trump started wearing a mask this week and has declared that wearing a mask is now patriotic against the China virus, his own words. Um, (laughs) Anyway, do you want to move on from this? This is not nice stuff. Let's talk about the US championship. Um, Do you like it? The new design? I feel like it looks... uh... Apparently, people liked the Intercontinental Championship redesign. I don't like either of these two. They look metallic and ugly. Uh, yeah, I can't I don't like the old one, even though it looked tacky. So the US belt, everyone always used to say that was the worst-looking WWE belt, but head and shoulders better than what they've done now. Well, I mean, have you actually seen the new... I prefer it to the up-close new Intercontinental Championship belt, which, yeah. like, looks like some, it looks like something out of Silent Hill or Hellraiser. Like, it's, it's a weird metallic object that you find in a disused museum in a video game. This one's not that much better, and it just... I don't know why they're redesigning these belts to make them look metallic and futuristic and dull. It's like the main belts, that there's no personality to them. They're all just really generic and standardized. I don't know, man. The championship belts should be like a piece of jewelry. It should be exciting to look at. I don't really understand why they've forcefully gone in a direction in which they don't implement sort of jewelry and like proper golden work and the, the old eagle. Like, everybody remembers the eagle. Everybody loved the look of that belt. Just something that looked real as opposed to a prop. Because, it, like, if the previous US championship looked like a prop, this looks like a kid's toy. Which is maybe yeah. what they're going for. I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand WWE's audience anymore, given some of the violence on this pay-per-view. And I don't think they do either. Because I assumed that they were aiming for kids at this point. But then you've also got drownings and gougings on here. Yeah, I thought that as well. Uh, I, yeah, the belt is stupid. The segment was stupid. The segment was so stupid. Like, I know that they had Apollo out um, and they didn't know really what to do. But I, I thought at least when MVP called himself the new US champion, somebody would come out and disagree. Nobody. I guess Apollo Cruz has no friends. Wait, no, he's he's been shown. Did <laughs> you say that he's literally been shown to have friends on Raw? Right. They were just nowhere to be found. Ricochet and Cedric—they're just hiding in a in a cupboard. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So let's talk about this. I versus I. Uh, you literally just said about you don't know who the target audience is anymore, 
And while I was watching this match, I actually generally thought, you know, blood has been outlawed for the longest time now because that's too graphic for kids. Yet, actually, grievous bodily harm is okay to show. I was so confused when I woke because obviously I read a few spoilers before I actually saw the match and I saw the now famous picture of Mysterio holding a ping pong ball. I was actually shocked that they genuinely went through with it. I figured all the way up until this point that it would be like a cop out. Like Ray would be like, I don't want to do this to you. Or there would be like a Roland's face turn when he would be like, I don't want to do this to you. I just felt, I I thought that they wouldn't actually get there. And lo and behold, they did. And my favorite thing to start off this match is Mike Rome, the announcer, announces an eye for an eye gouging match like a bikini contest. Just no emotion. Yeah. This is the next match. How are you doing? Look what we got for you here. It's not a good start. I got a problem with, in general, what they've done, what they've put out into the world. Because we always say, we always complain about modern wrestling, um, the flippy dippy shit, whatever. It's always an evolution. When someone does something, the next person that has a match, they've got to go and do something that little bit more. What I'm trying to say is, we had a cage match that became a hell in the cell match that became an elimination chamber and that's fine. But how many times have people tried to one up Mick Foley falling off the hell in the cell? Yeah. What, what I'm trying to say is WWE have now put in the world and gouging of the eye match. That's now a thing. So what is CZW or BGW oh, in Japan gonna do who don't have CGI or props to play with? They're going to do real bodily harm to each other. I haven't actually even thought about this. Because wrestlers are always trying to one-up each other and try and do the next big thing. And WWE have laid this out on the table that this is something you can do for the mainstream. What are the fucking indie guys that love gore going to do? I really hope that that's not the case and this disappears into history, but I do understand the uh, the scariness of that, that potentiality. They've opened up a whole new level of violence that they've proven families and children will watch together. But it, can you, did you watch the, so like Tony Khan and Chris Jericho were boasting and I, we had an argument about this because I said, why would they be boasting about something that is obviously not a good idea? Uh, and then WWE stealing it. And you said it was, it was less about boasting and more about just showing that WWE are copying everything they do. Did you watch this uh, Santana versus Jericho eye for an eye match? I assume it did not end in the same way. No, that was a tagline. It wasn't, a, oh, we've got to rip your eye out. It was that both men had... So Chris Jericho had injured John Moxley's eye to get an advantage in their championship match. And Moxley had gone after all of the inner circle as revenge. And part of that revenge was snapping Santana's eye into something, a bat or something. So both men had injured eyes. And then they had a match where they both had one eye, like covered, um, like a pirate's patch, whatever. But it was just a straight up match. And it was just like the branding marketing the week before our next week these two are having an eye for an eye match to settle their beef right so that this was basically what everybody that watches wwe was looking forward to seeing you, you you had the eye injury you had a heated feud you had the only good thing on raw apart from mvp in my opinion um and then they turned it literal yeah 
Fuck, man. It's I, I can't actually believe they did it. <laughs> neither right, neither can I. I'm genuinely still getting around this. And so, like, just getting into the match quickly, I don't even know really how to word this, right? So you've got an actual gouging match. So somebody has to physically pull out the eye of somebody else. So it even seems stupid to analyze the wrestling. But if you are truly desperately trying to sell this, why are there tables and kendo sticks? Rey Mysterio attempted a 619. There's a hurricane rana, for fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to gouge this man's eye out of his head and make sure... As Seth Rollins said, that he never sees his wife and he never sees Sunset again. And Rey Mysterio knows the same thing. So Rey Mysterio attempts a Hurricane Rana. I don't know what to say to you, man. Can I just say to the defense of everybody involved, the commentators, Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, they tried their absolute hardest to make this work. And I don't feel like you could say otherwise. It was just silly there in this situation to begin with. It just doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you get re- if you live in a kayfabe world for a second, how would this ever be allowed to be a real thing? Oh, in a kayfabe world, Seth Rollins needs to go to. Why is Seth Rollins not currently in prison or on bail? Like, it goes beyond the limits of his job. Why is WWE selling it on pay per view? <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. I, and that's why it doesn't work because. In kayfabe, there is absolutely no way that you could physically believe that this would exist. So in real life, it's some of the worst wrestling storyline bullshit ever. Yeah, it just came off pretty stupid. You can't immerse yourself within this match. There's no way that you can, unless you're like six, there's no way that you can make yourself believe that this is real. It just goes beyond... The, the confines of the wrestling world. And there was no really good way to make it look real. I mean, when Ray was holding his face and there was the ping pong ball, whatever, in his glove that you saw a glimpse of, there was no realistic way they could have made this look like it actually was his eye. You haven't read the news this week. Vince McMahon personally oversaw this. He wanted to make it look right, and he wanted it to, to do it as properly as possible. This was Vince McMahon's passion project, apparently. It was not some... <laughs> yeah. What a thing to put all your effort in. It was, it was not created by a scriptwriter. This was Vince McMahon's idea, and he 100% was in the arena at all times watching how it was done, because this, this one was pre-taped. It wasn't live. Um which is they tried to do different camera angles and things like that. And apparently they had already done CGI where you physically saw Rey Mysterio's eye pop out of his head. Uh, But Vince McMahon said no to it because it didn't look realistic enough. So they actually did somewhere in the vaults. They have actual CGI footage of Rey Mysterio's eye popping out of his head. And they went with this where he was obviously had both hands covering his actual real eye. With the ping pong ball, yeah. It looked very, very fake. I mean, and if it was real, why the fuck did it take so long for the doctors to get down to him? I'm so no, wait, wait, wait. This is like, that's plot hole number like nine. <laughs> like, what, why is there a ref in the ring to officiate this match? What's he officiating? Yeah, true. Well, um, he's got to make sure that the eye is fully out the socket. 
I'm not a an expert of eyeballs, but if you push the eye in to something, does it pop out like that? Definitely not. One hundred percent not. <laughs> Definitely not. Oh, I had a great time with this, Ben. But I mean, the I feel really bad for Seth Rollins and Rey Mysterio because they were put into a position, just like Edge and Orton, really, kind of. But in a, in such a so much worse way, and you you have to admit, like they they tried, they tried, they really tried. They did some like sick kendo shots. They they did some gouging and stuff. They they did some good camera shots of Rollins desperately getting himself away from the eye. They did they did some really violent spots with chairs. They really tried their best. Their work rate was fantastic. Like this would, this would have been this was this match was what everybody was looking forward to on the pay per view before it became this gimmick. If this match was just a general match with a pinfall and um, it was extreme rules, so they could use all those weapons, it would be great because there was some really unique usage of weapons in this match. Um, the toolbox, for one thing, I don't think we see the toolbox in wrestling matches enough because it's really the only thing that makes sense to be underneath that wrestling ring. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then he gets tag ropes out and then tries to tie Ray up in the tag ropes. Uh, the kendo stick being jabbed into the hole that the LED corners that WWE used. Uh, that looked that, cool. that was genuinely scary. Um, uh, that, made, that was the only thing in this match that made me cringe because Roland's face was so close to it and he was running at a speed. Mm. That looked like it was genuinely very dangerous. Uh, that was a crazy spot. This is the problem with this match, man. Like, objectively speaking, if this was not literally about an eye for an eye match, we would have enjoyed this match. If the finish had gone somewhere else and there would have been some sort of interference or um, there would have been like a coming to terms with Mysterio or Rollins or a face turn or a heel turn or whatever, I think we would be coming out of this pretty positive about it. It just needed a different finish. I think that's that's all it needed. But let's talk about Rollins for a second and how he looks coming out of this. Because Rollins was literally throwing up. And then he looked sympathetic as Ray got taken back by the doctors. Uh, the, the whole gimmick of gouging someone's eye out, grievous bodily harm, he should have looked like the biggest piece of shit in the world that ever lived. This was his real crowning villain moment. And instead... It was empathetic. He looks like a real human being, just like he's looked through the entire promotion of this angle. He was the only person, as I said before, that came out on Raw and actually thought about this match and the stipulation and how crazy it is. And that, as you said, he did a really good job of making himself vomit and stuff. And he did look like the only person that you felt like you could understand in this entire environment you say he came across looking like a human being even the commentators were fucking morons because i can't remember who it is but when this match ends and they all get taken to the back one of them goes let's hope what happened today doesn't permanently change ray's life forever he lost a fucking eyeball. Of course, <laughs> fucking changed. i also loved i loved when um 
there was an awkward silence when they saw the ping pong ball on the on the camera crew. And good old Joe is he's the only one that was like, I'd do it. And he just ma- very matter of factly in like a blank intonation, it's out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh my god. Um, also, also, we have complained about WWE's performance center crowd before. Yeah. What was this crowd, man? They were bloodthirsty. They were baying for it. If you were a kayfabe audience uh, watching two guys about to gouge each other's eyes out forever, mm. would you be cheering the face and booing the heel? And then when the heel finally wins the match, boo him so that he feels ashamed of himself. I want to see that blood, man. I want to see the eyeball. You wanted Rey Mysterio to gouge out Roland's eyeball. When Roland's gouged out Rey Mysterio's eyeball, you thought this whole thing was monstrous. Fuck yeah, I just want to see eyeballs everywhere. <laughs> You've given up with this shit it's now, It's so you? stupid, man. Like, I mean, at least I always... The one thing I hate about wrestling is when they tease something and don't pay it off. At least they, at least they did it. Oh, this whole pay-per-view, including uh, the Wyatt Swamp fight... I'm so glad it exists just so it can go down in history for uh, pure wrestle crap. Yeah, this was this is one hell of a show. Um, we'll be watching this back in 25 years. I mean, I'll go on to the next segment, but it's still relevant. Um, well, the next segment actually really annoyed me. So Bailey is interviewed and she is making fun of the fact that Ray just lost his up. Yeah, so out of character. It's like... Bailey's a great heel, but she's not that heel. Like it felt really uncomfortable, and um, Bailey kind of lost some of her bad guy charm because she's. Mm. That we're we're being taught and told that this is the most serious issue of all time, and Seth Rollins is literally vomiting, and and Bailey's making jokes about it and cracking jokes about it, and this they did the same thing with Kevin Owens. Like uh, uh, Seth Rollins was. Uh, being philosophical about what an eye for an eye means and why does it have to happen this way and Kevin Owens gets out an eye patch it's just not reading a character at all and it's not reading reading their own room that they created so what's next for Ray? I mean I've heard there's contract disputes and stuff so is this writing Ray Ray off TV forever or are we going to see him back with one yeah, so, eye? No, so uh, basically, we had a segment later on where they said they might be able to reattach the eyeball. <laughs> um, and that was... I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure if it comes clean out, it's not it's not going clean back in. Yeah, I would assume so, right? Maybe we're not doctors, though, so maybe we don't know. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be as good as new. But that was basically that was a message to Rey Mysterio saying, "Do you want to re-sign with us or not? If you want to re-sign with us, we're going to put your eyeball back in." <laughs> um, it's down to you, bro. You want that eye back? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I've learned to, as of today. Um, and I don't really blame him. Rey Mysterio has decided not to pursue a contract renewal with WWE. Oh, there's a surprise. Um, but the, the, that's a the only thing that they had over him was Dominic. That's basically what, what the whole issue was about, because otherwise he would have left ages ago because he wants to go to AEW. 
Whereas AEW don't want Dominic, they just want Ray. So that was what the big contract signing was about. It's also about a raise that Vince refused to give. But yeah, Ray's decided not to sign with WWE. So what will happen in about a couple of months' time? Ray will turn up at AEW. Chris Jericho will come out and say, "How's the eye, Ray?" Stupid <laughs> from Bad Creative. You know, they've just set themselves up to fail once again. Yeah, I'd like to see Ray in AEW. I think that. Would I be think fun. he he. For me, all of the, the the frustrations I have with the high flyers not understanding psychology and stuff, Ray would be such a great teacher for those young guys. Because Definitely. as I say every every show, I can it's not that I dislike them, I can see potential in them. But people like private party, I don't feel like they need a Matt Hardy. They need a Ray Mysterio who can do both simultaneously and really understands both sides of that style. Definitely for sure. So you mentioned the Braun video package against Bray. I took a note here that Braun's voiceover work is so much better than his actual live pro um, mic work. Maybe they should... Uh, I don't know why you want to do that information, but maybe they should do more pre-taped stuff with him. Braun's an interesting one because when you put him in a ring and make him talk, he looks like an absolute idiot. And a lot of his ring uh, set and his, his move set makes him look a fool like when he runs around the ring like a dumb steam train and also at the same time as you said i noted this as well uh, mm. the, the pre-tape segments he actually looks pretty cool and he's got a really great look now he's done something with his hair and he just looks jacked and he looks like somebody you want to support and i feel like you, if you masked him as if you got paul Heyman in 1997 and you gave him brawn brawn would be a completely different human being would probably be a superstar. Yeah, I, I really think they should package him in a different way or use him in a different way. But this Ben, this Ben, this this video package that you saw was pretty much the entire build. Oh, okay. On SmackDown, so barely nothing then. No. All right. Well, before we get there, we got Asuka versus Sasha Banks. This was my favorite match of the night. This was a perfect palate cleanser after what we've just witnessed. I it went quite long, and the the two women just did. Great stuff. It was such a good match. There was, there was variations of pins. There was submissions by both women. There was mat work, technical skill. Uh, it's quite clear that Sasha Banks belongs in the main event, and I don't understand why it's taken her this long to get back here. She just fell out of favor a bit, didn't she, with the whole tag team championship debacle a couple of years ago? Maybe. Yeah, she had a strop. But it's Shawn Michaels used to have strops. Sasha Banks needs to be in the main event without. Uh, there was a great moment when Sasha Banks reverses out of a German suplex off the top rope, and she managed to flip herself backwards and she lands on her knees. Um, and then she goes on the elf offense, but can't nail the moves because her knees give out. She now injured herself, and the commentary team does a great job of selling the fact that. The blow she took to her knees is so painful that she can barely continue with the match. I don't know if it was a botch on Sasha Banks's part and the commentary team covered up or whether it was done on purpose. I saw this too and it did feel like a botch that the commentary team covered up really well. And then she sold it really well as well. Yeah, yeah. So then Sasha Banks realized she botched and carried on selling it, which is just professionals on both sides, right? That's that's some some quick thinking and some some great understanding of what's happening and where to go with it if it was a botch then they took something that could have ruined the match and then they 
I thought it was actually a positive to them. Made it better. Yeah, yeah, it was like a whole added little story to the last part of the match. Also, who knew Asuka can do really great German suplexes? She can do everything, man. She's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it came out really creepy. <laughs> um, I, I, there's one spot here that I haven't seen in a while, which is uh, an attempted suplex onto the outside. Which is always teased and never actually done, but it's a spot that's worth a great deal because it always adds like another level of physicality, and it, it actually makes every time I've seen it done properly, it makes the match elevate itself in terms of heat. And they did a really great one here, where um, I think Oscar was trying Oscar was trying to suplex Sasha Banks onto the onto the floor, and then they twisted around, they tried to do it again, and that was a real marker point for me from trying to submit each other into going into these super hard German suplexes and then getting really physical. But then what do you think about all of the shenanigans towards the end of the match? Did it ruin it for you? Uh, man, so like I personally rate my matches and I had this on a 3-3 three, three quarter, but I really didn't like the angle and the match actually went down to a 3, three and a quarter because it, it just, uh, I feel like I've already seen so much shit tonight I saw I saw a disqualification in Bailey Nikki Cross. I saw a spot fest with the tables match. I saw a gouging match. I've got a swamp fight to go. I've got whatever Dolph Ziggler turned up with. I just wanted one straight match with a clean finish. And I know that they needed to try and save uh, Sasha, but like you didn't know need to go this far. I get what you're saying, and it definitely tainted the overall quality of the match. But I thought. What actually happened is that the ref got missed in his eyes from Oscar and Bailey steals his shirt and counts the pin. I thought this was great character work for Bailey. It like continues on the idea that she thinks she's above everyone else. She's so cocky that she can be the ref if she wants to be. I like the idea of it. And, and once again, I feel like with a few small tweaks, this pay-per-view could have gone the other way. The only difference I would have made is just to have another referee come down. Have another referee come down, Bailey knock a second referee out, and then take the take the uh, shirt. I just I've seen so many times referees come tumbling out one after the other when a ref takes a bump. I just wanted them to play into that canon, which is is a normal canon for WWE, yeah. and have Bailey take the second ref out. Then the finish to me is absolutely fine. Suspending the disbelief. Yeah, that would have been a perfect way of doing it. And like you said, if there was less shenanigans on other matches earlier in the night then this would have maybe if the first bailey match there was no cheating in it this would have fit this would have sat a bit better with you it was a great match and i understand what you mean about bailey's character work i just just wanted that small moment of wwe pretending that what they usually do still exists as opposed to picking and choosing when they want to use spots like that you know Oh, they always pick and choose everything. They make the rules up as they go along. They always well, have yeah. eye for an eye. That's the new rule set. <laughs> uh, Do you reckon it's become a yearly gimmick match now? Oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> I hope that gets lost in time. They're, they might use it for guys on their way out now. <laughs> Take his eye, brother. <laughs> you don't go out on your back anymore. You go out with one eye. <laughs> There'd just be like a, a whole collection of one-eyed dudes in Impact. That could be that. <laughs> <laughs> it could start looking like a pirate. 
get together. Impact, um, Impact sell anything. They'll probably make a staple out of it. Oh my anyway. god. Um, it'll become a new gimmick, like Randy Orton's Legend Killer. It'll be a guy that's just collecting eyeballs. I don't think that guy's Rollins. He needs to stop puking if he's going to do it every year. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> this is. Oh, man. Dolph Ziggler versus Drew McIntyre. Right. Right. So, mystery stipulation. We don't know what's happening until Dolph Ziggler explains it. Um, and then he says, it's got an extreme rules match. And then I was like, oh, fuck's sake. That's not very exciting. And then he adds, only for him. For McIntyre, it's a straight-up match. He can be counted out. He can be DQ'd. And I thought this is actually a really interesting concept. Yeah, so i got a couple of points to make about this. First of all, um, this is how you book interest, in my opinion. We've watched every week McIntyre be goaded by Ziggler. Ziggler brought Heath Slater out. And, like I was not interested in this whatsoever. You know my opinions on Ziggler. You know I think Drew should be in a proper feud. But once again, the magic of Drew and Ziggler, give him his credit, it worked, um, made this interesting. And he was supposed to announce it on Raw after Raw, and he kept delaying it. And he said, you know what, I'm not even going to tell you. I'm going to tell you at the pay-per-view. Well, that made me interested in what Dolph Ziggler was actually going to say. Uh, um, this match, I thought, I, I don't understand how they haven't used this gimmick before. Yeah, this is really clever, and it feels like this should already be a thing. Yeah, I, well, I went back uh, over the past couple of years. I did a brief sort of Google search. I can't really see anything like this. It's such a great idea to get a baby face over as a baby face and a heel as a heel. I don't, I don't really understand why I haven't really seen it before. Uh, instead of the I versus I match and the swamp fights and and the greatest match of all time and the alligator dumpster stuff, maybe they've finally, uh, if used sparingly, found a new sort of gimmick here that could work to build heels and faces up. But it's not just extreme rules. This could work in other similar stipulations. Yeah. Um off the top of my head, like a tables match, I can win by putting you through a table, but you can only win in a traditional way. Maybe not the best example, but it could be used in other stipulations. Um, but I would say the first half of this match, I, I did enjoy so much because it seemed to be Drew McIntyre versus the concept rather than Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler. Ziggler f- felt like he was being jobbed out a little bit. And then there was a couple of cool spots like... Drew ripped a chair out of his hands and then realized, oh, shit, I got to throw the chair away. And then another spot where he was going to go for a suplex and put Drew through a table and then realized, like, last second that he had to spin around and then just do the suplex on. So I, I didn't really mind that so much because Ziggler, I think I read somewhere, has won one match in 2020 or about that. And it was against Tucker. And there's really no reason why Dolph Ziggler should be against Drew McIntyre when Drew McIntyre has looked so dominant. Not only has McIntyre beat Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins on pay-per-view, but he's been having matches every week and being an absolute hard nut. Uh, He's the first WWE champion in a very long time that is cut off by a heel and says, shut up, I'm talking, and been so alpha about it that you actually believe him. I, I feel like Drew McIntyre is the best champion I've seen in absolutely ages. So it makes sense to me that he would be fighting the gimmick as opposed to Ziggler, who everybody really kind of knows 
isn't on his level. And I thought they did a clever pacing of making Drew look dominant until Ziggler being a sort of coward, a slightly more cowardly heel, finding an entrance into using the gimmick, which McIntyre then had to face Ziggler face-to-face once they got on an equal level. Yeah, because he finally gets his hands on the weapons. I think it was a chair he first used, and then he could start using it, and then he got the upper hand. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, and I get what you're saying about Ziggler as well. Like He's definitely not on McIntyre's level, but if you are going to put them together and put it in the co-main, at least pretend for a minute Ziggler could... At least it's deserving of a championship match. Yeah, for sure. And this is the problem with these um, match of the month sort of things. Nobody believed that Tamina was going over Bailey. Nobody believed that. that. Yeah, well, nobody believed Jax was going over Oscar either. And nobody believed that Bobby was going over Drew. You you do have a continued problem by doing this, that you're, you're making all of the champions tread water so I thought they at least did a good... I thought this stipulation worked. It gives some form of interest to um, the potentiality for an upset. It definitely made the match more interesting than it otherwise would have been. I did think the ending was very strange. Ziggler was kind of on a roll. Um, he kind of laid out all of his finishing arsenal and then Drew kind of came out of nowhere, hit the Claymore. Yeah, I did agree. I do agree with you there. I, I thought that the actual finish was cool. The kip up, the kip up into the claymore. There was a slight tinge of it that made Drew McIntyre feel like he was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, a bit fluky. Yeah, that was a, a good match. I really enjoyed that match. I really love the stipulation. I really hope they do something similar to that again. But I, I am with you. I originally just thought. It was an extreme rules match. Uh, I, like, I went and had a cigarette. Like I can deal with that. <laughs> like, you've, you've, I've been watching the 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 program. Like they've built this up for a month. I and I thought they'd built it up to the title of the pay per view. Yeah, and that it was going to be a hardcore match. Right. So let's get onto something that isn't new and fresh. It's something. You want to talk me through this, Ben. What the swamp fight? Yeah. Okay, here we go. It's another B-movie match. And I feel like ever since they did the first one with Bray and also AJ and Taker at WrestleMania, they've been trying to rekindle the magic and nothing has landed as well as the first two. I would agree. Everything has actually gone slowly, progressively worse yeah. since the first two. Yeah. I mean, AEW's version of it was okay. Um, Impact's one you liked. I didn't like it. And I'm really... Well, no, I liked that. Um, I, I let me just keep the record straight here. I thought it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I liked, I liked it in the same way that I liked some of this stuff. That it's so bad that it becomes like an an asylum movie. You know, the asylum uh, company. Mm. They do Sharknado Five and stuff. Oh right, yeah, yeah it gets to that level where it suddenly becomes hilarious. Like Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan riding through the sunset together in a dimly lit back lot to cowboy music, I thought was just magical. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But every time they do on these B movie matches now, I just get more and more annoyed with them. But well, first of all, I'm pretty sure the car pulling up scene in the swamp was the same road undertaker biked off in. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, all right, I actually got play-by-play notes on this because there was so much going on. I just couldn't. I just had to 
write it all down. So Bray, Bray turns up, uh, Braun turns up on Bray's compound in his truck, and Bray is there in a rocking chair dressed like version one Bray Wyatt. He then disappears, and Braun gets angry and throws the chair. He throws it at a sign that says, um, abandon all hope here. Then there's some intercut images of some farm animals looking scary. Fuck. Yeah, one minute, one and a half minutes in, you've got warthogs. Yeah. And then Bray gets attacked by just some random guy. Some random unfit dude in a white vest. Right, he's in a white vest. I think it was meant to be a Luke Harper impersonation. <laughs> they could have at least got a dude with a beard. Yeah. Uh, but then we cut away to like some more bullshit and we come back and the guy he's fighting is now wearing a coat. Oh, that's yeah, there's another dude there. Right. So then there's lots of random dudes in this match that just appeared and then disappeared again. Yeah, and there was no explanation at all. But wait, I mean we'll get to the best bit later. Uh where am I? Braun gets yeah, yeah. We cut to the Firefly Flun house where Whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you missed the you missed the worst shovel shot of all time that I've ever seen. No, that comes back after the cheerleader bit. Then we come back, and then there's the guy with the the shovel hitting. What was the cheerleader bit? It just cuts to the Firefly Flun House, and Bray is actually cheering Braun on with like some pom poms, like a cheerleader. <laughs> this 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 thing was almost like subliminal messaging. Like there was just too much stuff going in front of my eyelids. And none of it made any sense whatsoever. And none of it made any sense. I'm glad you thought that. I thought I was just going mad. I thought that actually this wasn't a match, and maybe this was just a, a Braun Strowman fever dream. Well, no, I, well, no it, it must have been because uh, keep doing the play by play. All right, uh, Braun um, hulks up and rips his vest on and hits the guy that hit him with a shovel. Then he looks back, and himself, uh, wearing the black sheep mask, is staring him down. <laughs> um, and then old Braun attacks new Braun with the shovel, and then we cut to Braun tied up in chains in a barn. And there's a there's a tool with spikes in its head, like a punk, and a stop sign, and a kiddie's buggy. Yeah, there's a ton of like more horror montage bullshit with animals, kids, toys, tools, the black sheep mask. And then the old Bray um, theme tune plays and he walks in holding the lantern. And this was where you saw from Bray originally playing Bray to Bray playing Bray now, how Drake fresh he gets his beard trimmed at this point. <laughs> Drake fresh. Yeah. Like it's fine lined is got the keys to the kingdom. It is it's 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 very uh 21st century rapper at this point. So I would say the only redeeming thing about this whole B movie is Bray's monologue here. I don't know if he scripted his own lines or whatever, but this was the only interesting part. Um I can give you some of the lines if you want. Go ahead, that's being me. He says, you can't hurt me, I'm already dead. And then he pinches at his shirt, I think referencing the old Bray character. He says that Braun is currently loved by the people, but his success is temporarily like the old Bray. And when he dies and fades out, the new Bray will be here to pick him back up. He doesn't say old and new Bray, but you get the idea. 
Um, he says that the human race is like bacteria and society is falling, but these two together can rise up and be gods. I, I think that Bray Wyatt is a a pretty bad wrestling character, um, and I can't think of any outstanding physical matches that he's had necessarily, but I do think he's a great actor, and it doesn't matter how hammy or corny it gets. He manages to deliver a, a really good performance no matter what he's playing or why. Even that terrible Bella Lugosi vampire stuff earlier in the show, he was he was it felt like he was given lines and he he, he threw it in like he was doing full young Frankenstein and you laughed despite yourself, you know? And he, yeah. I, I think he would he'd be better off, honestly, like in the movies than I actually movie. I actually thought during this monologue Bray should stop being a uh, a wrestler and he just needs his own TV show. Yeah, I think he would be great. I think he's got all of the talent and material to do it and it, he can quite obviously play any character way beyond the abilities of most guys pretending to act. And then uh, I'll just say the final line because I did really like this. He says, Braun, you are a weapon. Let me wield you. To be the monster I know you can be, I have to defeat the monster you have become. That's nice. I like that. Yeah. Then we've got a woman, presumably Sister Abigail, turning up with a snake. That oh my bite, god! That bites yeah. Brawn. Then you've got Brawn waking up by a fire, which reminded me a bit of like a really shit Midsummer. Um, beats up some more dudes who didn't. And throws look like... one of those dudes into the fire. Oh yeah. <laughs> Listen, I I her I love. <laughs> I lost it way before you did at this. Like I lost it when they started showing me warthogs. I thought it was hilarious, but then they got they've got a guy full on on fire running around with Braun cackling, and then yeah, Braun hysterically laughs at the fact that he set a guy on fire. <laughs> oh, but he doesn't even like check himself afterwards. He's not like, oh, am I going crazy because Bray's making me crazy? Yeah, I feel like that was the whole point of this bit is that he's finally sunk into Bray's world but it looked like he just found it funny because he's dumb yeah <laughs> <laughs> so then um this is my favorite bit this is my favorite bit all right. whole thing. sister abigail is on um the pier thing and uh she's beckoning him to come to her and then when the veil is unlifted it's fucking alexa bliss <laughs> and Alexa Bliss wants Braun to come live happily ever after with her. Oh my god, this is beautiful. This is so wonderful. This is what I live for. And then images of them competing in the Mixed Match Challenge are intercut with him (laughs) carrying her. Wait, 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 wait. wait, Apparently being in love. Just say that sentence again. So start from uh, Sister Abigail. Say it again. Sister Abigail turns out to be Alexa Bliss. And then what did they intercut with? Images of Alexa Bliss and Braun in the Mix Max Challenge. Which was aired on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> like four like three years ago. <laughs> oh <laughs> I love this so much. Like <laughs> they've they've worked in a um side story of Braun Strowman being in mad love with Alexa Bliss and daydreaming about her to the extent where he's thinking about her in the subconscious of his mind while facing Bray Wyatt in a life or death swamp fight 
(laughs) which is is an unsolicited love uh, that Alexa Bliss has no awareness of until she watches this maniacal serial killer try and hurt Bourne, who she thought was her platonic friend later on in the evening. Well, that's going to make the uh, work office a bit awkward on Monday, isn't it? WWE is amazing right now. Was it ever implied? Was it ever implied there was a love interest there, like two years ago? No. Or they just made this up now? They were they were friends. They were happy friends because one was really short and one was really tall. (laughs) Sure. All right. So so apparently, yeah. Apparently, he loves her in his dark, twisted mind. <laughs> so, uh, Bray jumps out and uh, just starts digging into his eyes, and Braun chokeslams him onto a boat. The boat then just decides to drive off into the lake by itself. That chokeslam was the first wrestling move we saw this match. And what's with the eye gouging tonight? <laughs> it's all about the eyes, baby. <laughs> uh, I didn't actually take note of that. That was the first wrestling match. Good... Uh, Thanks. I try my play and play play by play sometimes. <laughs> so a second later, the boat heads back. Um, to this, Braun decides to wade into the water and check what's going on with the boat. And then Bray attacks him with an oar from out of nowhere. There's hints that there's a fucking alligator in the swamp. I missed this alligator. Where was the alligator? I didn't see it at all. It was just intercut images of an alligator. Um, it wasn't next to them. You didn't see them in the same image. It was just... Oh, intercut images. Because um, I was alligators for this thing. I thought that they were gonna actually wrestle in a swamp with alligators around them. Because if they can give me an alligator on a golf course while the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits are playing a game, I thought they could have at least given me an, an alligator in an actual swamp fight. But they didn't. No, they saved that for the tag team. <laughs> I don't think there was an actual real alligator there, but it's implied that Bray is going to try and murder Braun by feeding him to an alligator. Um, he tries to drown him, and for a split second, I thought he actually succeeded in murdering him, but nope, Braun jumps back out. Uh, Bray is nowhere to be seen, so he jumps back onto the decking. Some kids are laughing now. Not sure. I missed miss this. I, I think I'd lost consciousness by this point, honestly. <laughs> I just remember that uh, <laughs> I think uh, Braun's on the floor and they do a camera shot directly into his face and it's the most derpy looking dumbass fucking <laughs> face I've ever seen on television. <laughs> his eyes are like going cross-eyed and he's like, what's going on? <laughs> it's just a, the most perfect camera angle and it's exactly how I think of Braun Strowman in my head. It's what he looks like most of the time. <laughs> I love him. He's one of my favorite wrestlers. But I, I think he could be booked so well if uh, Paul Heyman always um, took the negatives and swept them away and dealt with the positives, right? Braun looks great. Braun is a monster. You can do so much stuff with Braun, which doesn't involve him talking every week, which WWE seems to force him to do. Mm. I don't know. Anyway. Right, so we're at the end of this match now. We've got intercut images of the old Wyatt family with uh, the other two guys as well. Bray suddenly turns up again. He's got the shovel again, going crazy with it. It breaks in half, and now he's just using the handle. Braun gets up, big boots Bray. In, 
yeah, Bray into the lake, and then Braun declares himself the winner. That's it. Um, and then the uh, the little extreme rules promo. Bit. Yeah, we we get a post credit scene in this shit. Yeah. <laughs> the credits roll then a hand comes out of the water drags Braun into the water he struggles for a bit and then stillness he's fucking drowned everything the- after the post credit after the credit the credit bit is a complete blur to me not because I don't remember it but because I, I literally couldn't see anything on my screen I, I don't know whether you could I just saw lots of dark then lots of red for about a minute and that I did, couldn't physically look at anything and I did have my glasses on I couldn't see a single thing yeah it was weirdly cut I, it, I feel like someone in the production truck actually thought the show was over because it kept fading down and fading up <laughs> uh, but the final image was the fiend poking his head up out of the water looking down like the decking staring right into the camera and then let me in can be heard as we cut to black so I guess the fiend won Maybe. I don't, I don't have the time or energy to dissect this bullshit. Bray Wyatt, Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt, and The Fiend have become Bray Wyatt's <laughs> um, Mick Foley three characters at this point. There was no Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt here in this match. He And I, I feel like the Bella Lugosi Bray Wyatt from the earlier part of the show wasn't Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt dressed up. It just felt like a different split personality, like a fourth split comedy personality rather than the guy in the jumper. The, 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 uh, Bray Wyatt um, started this whole thing by being pretty clever. The, the original Firefly Funhouse promos were obviously well thought out, as opposed um, concerning the character and the ways it was going and what represented what. And at this point, I feel like it's just a farce and the fiend has turned up because the fiend is marketable and the original Bray Wyatt turned up because it was convenient. Firefire Funhouse Bray Wyatt is nowhere to be seen. And it it was one of those gimmicks where it, it required an incredible amount of detail put into it in order for it to work which is why Bray Wyatt was so good at it. And I, I think that either Bray Wyatt's given up or it's just been taken away from him at this point because it made absolutely no sense. We're a long way separated from those original Firefly Funhouse segments. Um, yeah. The character is... Like, yeah, the character's been like blurred into one big mess, rather, whereas before it was really nicely defined. I don't know what I'm watching anymore or why or how it's picked who is facing who or for what reason, which was kind of the main point of the gimmick originally. I mean, at the end of the day, this is wrestling. So although Bray Wyatt's stuff is really engaging and entertaining and fun, these boom movie matches for me, I think are actually dulling down his character and his star presence. I think he needs normal wrestling matches, but we always say, him in wrestling matches is not as good as him doing the acting stuff. So I don't know what the fix is, but I th- I don't know. I don't think you can fix him. You know, I like, I don't, I cannot see what you can do with him. The, the, the only time I think I've actually enjoyed his in-ring work and not just his promos. And when they finally sort of fit together for me 
was um, his match at Royal Rumble with Daniel Bryan, where they had a, a strap match, and Bryan made it work, but he didn't make The Fiend look like a normal wrestler. He made The Fiend still look supernatural without any stupid bullshit, and Bryan was scared of him, but Bryan was also working with him like a normal human. Yeah. Yeah, I... See, I've always thought in this pre-taped era that we're in, I know they still try and do live whenever they can. They could do matches where Bray Wyatt is having a match and then The Fiend interjects himself into the match to help Bray win. You could do that on a pre-taped match. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't really understand why Vince and seemingly the rest of the wrestling industry Give or take AEW, who did a lot of good stuff with the coronavirus. Uh, I, their stadium stampede, the build-up to it, their backlot brawl stuff, that was great. But Vince has got so much money behind him. He's got so much backing. He can do literally whatever he wants. The only matches that he's pre-planned, pre-set, and sort of spent a lot of time doing are the uh, greatest match of all time, the I versus an I match. And it seems to be only his ego that goes for these. I wouldn't even call them B movie. Like they go, he goes for these C movie uh, scenarios, which everybody finds ridiculously boring. Like I'm not sure how you felt about this, but this felt to me like it went on 45 minutes. It felt like an episode of a TV show. Um, and I don't understand why he doesn't concentrate that energy and effort into doing tight close cut shots within a normal match to still have wrestling and still make it actual wrestling but make it cinematic instead of just depleting and ignoring the whole idea of what wrestling is and throwing it into some sort of forest somewhere yeah did you see the champa and gargano match in nxt they did something similar to the match it was kind of b-movie style but it was still just a regular wrestling match just with lots of different extra camera angles well obviously the h has already tried it out yeah i mean that was good it worked but it's just the amount is the amount that they're doing this is now it's becoming oversaturated and we're comparing them to each other and they're just getting worse every time well it's been a monthly thing since wrestlemania at this point hasn't yeah. it because even backlash had the tag team thing which was by far the worst one i think but no, the NXT I don't was know. the worst <laughs> one. The parking lot brawl. Oh, yeah. Oh, the NXT. Yeah, that was awful. That was, that was absolutely dreadful. I, I think I've actually blocked that one out of my memory. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, so, WWE Universe, the WWE Universe movie universe series, Marvel, DC, extended universe of WWE. What do you feel? It's, it's, just, it's just bad. It's bad stuff. My, my personal theory on this is... Vince, and I, I would I would want to hear your comments on it, but I, I feel like Vince is finally realizing a long-lost dream through coronavirus, where all he's ever wanted to do since he went PG is build the equivalent of Disney World, but with WWE, to the point where he eventually doesn't want to do wrestling anymore, but he wants to build up movies and TV shows and sellability of characters so that he has John Cena theme park rides. Yeah, that's a very old goal. I mean, he's he said way back in the late 90s that he doesn't want to be a wrestling company. He wants to be an entertainment company. Yeah, and I feel like finally coronavirus is allowing him the opportunity 
a little too late to realize a long lost dream. Because this stuff is not a lot different from See No Evil 2 starring Kane. No, this this is a B movie. I, I mean, I don't call it that just to be funny. These really are like really shitty little short films. There's a sort of thing you find so, on Sci-Fi Channel at 3 a.m. And I just wish they'd go away. I agree. I agree. <laughs> at this point, I'm so done with them. It's, this is the first one I think I haven't either loved or hated. I, I kind of, as much as they were throwing stuff at me all the time, and apart from the Alexa Bliss thing, which I found hilarious, I just kind of sat there bored through this one. So the show as a whole, um, even with the eye gouging and then so down on this main event, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Oh, fun. yeah, man. I'm, like, we've criticized this pay-per-view extensively and to some extent impact. But I, I will say for the record that I enjoyed both pay-per-views and I actually really enjoyed watching modern wrestling this week, whether it was for a good reason or a bad reason. It just sort of brought me out of myself and it was zany enough. The bad bits were zany enough for me to just like experience wrestling for what it's supposed to be for once, which is escapism. You know, I, I've already said it, as long as it's something fresh and different, even if it's a piling turd, I'm still enjoying it because it's not the same old shit every single week. I, no, I agree with you. In WWE at this point, I definitely will welcome any old shit, as long as it's any old new shit from a different area. So next week, um, are we doing horror characters next week? We can do. We can build upon the theme of Extreme Rules. I was leaving it up to you, really. Basically. Yeah, let's 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 continue down the road we started on today. So next week we're gonna just have a little little look at the evolution of horror style characters in professional wrestling, which is actually very because we were talking about this before this whole Extreme Rules became a horror show, um, and it's now become very apt because it's quite clear what we were saying a couple of weeks ago that horror characters are the new thing. So I'd like to see where that's going in current times why it's there and potentially look into the future of horror characters in wwe and other companies cool done that was a really fun podcast all right see you, see you later, have a nice week like share and subscribe to keep it botched up brother